Guard number 21 assists to a senior from Newport Beach, California, Jeff Fryer. Patrick Ewan Jr. again! free throws. There is his brother, TJ, seven years older, and it was what he did with him when the younger uh, Fredette was, was trying to learn the game. He put him through all kinds of drills and all kinds of different exercises, and he credits TJ, his older brother, with helping him get to where he is right now. Jimmer dribbled down the dark hallway of the church, and his brother would hide and jump out at him. High-flying Tony Farmer. Manager, a 17 year old with autism, entered the game. From the Milwaukee Bucks guard, Ricky Pierce. And one number 14, Oscar Smith, Matt Doherty. Number 33, Paul Chris Heron dancing on the outside. Oh my goodness! This goes up and over, Boomchay Boomchay. Taking a 52-year hiatus, Ken Mink has returned to finish his collegiate playing career, playing for Roan State Community College at 73 years of age. Marcus Liberty. Meet Kelvin Davis. Terrific pass and never looking under the basket. It's in there. And Tom Anderson, a senior. Western Kansas. What's up, everybody? We got a very special edition of Not My House today. It's the holidays, so we're taking a little time off, just like everybody should, enjoying Christmas and trying not to lose your mind getting that last-minute Christmas shopping list done. So uh, we decided to go through our season two because we've had a ton of great guests, and uh, 56 of them, to be honest with you. We've been very busy, so hopefully Santa will give us some good presents this year. I'm your host, Eric, and right next to me, as always, is my co-host, Zach. Zach, what's going on this morning, my friend? 
You know, I'm doing great. I've been busy. You know, it is basketball season for me, so I'm at the I'm at the chalkboard. I'm watching film. I'm in the gym on top of doing the pods. So I, I, it is a busy time of year, and my birthday is two days before Christmas. So I mean, it, yeah, this is a busy month for me. No oh, man, you were one of those kids that got screwed because your business was your uh, birthday was so close to Christmas, weren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. It's two days away from being born as God, and everybody wants to be buying Christmas presents, or either people are out of town for my birthday, and or they just forget about it because it's so George Christmas. So I wish I had like a July birthday. That would have been ideal. Yeah, I got a September one, so it, it works out perfectly. Start of the football season is right when my birthday happens, so it's, it's always a good time. So. Man, this is gonna be this could be big, man, because we got a ton of guests here. So we're gonna try to show love to every single guest we had. And uh, for you new listeners, if you just stumbled upon this one, you know we've got a lot of guests that we've had on the show. A lot of really interesting people, a lot of famous people, a lot of great stories. So if you're wondering where to go and and what to listen to, this is probably a good one to start start off on, honestly, because you'll get an idea of like who we've interviewed and and what ones you want to check out or not. Um, and we've got a season one too. We've had a ton of episodes and interviews. So if you're just getting started, man, it's a great road trip for you. Pick up some episodes, take a listen and whatnot. So make sure you support all the businesses. Um, if you, if you go on Apple or Buzzsprout or wherever you listen, there's, we used to do a little, uh, summary and we also, uh, promote each person's business that we have on because I think it's important to support these people, especially since they're so nice about donating their time and they're very generous with their time. So support their businesses. It really does help them out. Let's uh, let's start off with the first episode we did. Well, we're not going to do the 2020 year interview. That would take forever. Or we can sum it up really simple. COVID, boo. And that could be the <laughs> end of the episode, basically. Uh, but. but I think it's important to say we start off every season with a year interview, which I think is awesome. So, I mean, that's the one episode that really doesn't relate to basketball. It's kind of one where we just get our friends and go roundtable and have some fun. So that, that is a fun one to listen to if uh, – if you if if you want to get a couple laughs in and you know relive the year oh absolutely man yeah it is definitely the one episode where we 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 barely talk about basketball on that one to be honest with you it's kind of funny we're talking a lot about you know <laughs> current current events of the last year which is kind of crazy so let's yeah. start off with um season two episode two jeff fryer um this was a really cool episode in my opinion because we got to talk to a guy that played on those famous Mellon mount teams with hank gathers you know, Bo Kimball, um, he was a really cool guy, and he did the interview in his car. You remember that? I do, yeah. Well, he's walking around on the beach, too. I mean, it was really cool. I mean, he kind of got that SoCal vibe from him, but um, I really loved that one. It was just kind of, I mean, the title of the episode is Journey of Faith, and it, I just thought it was uh, really interesting how his experience with Hank and, you know, what happened to Hank Gathers uh, really affected his life moving forward. For the better, though, I mean, he really found his, his way with God. And for some people, that's really important. And it was just uh, really interesting to see how his faith has carried him uh, to this point in life today. This is tough for me to ask. I'm sure it's tougher to answer. But obviously, you're in the game that he passed away. And I feel like it'd be really insensitive of me to ask what you remember from that game and, you know, when it happened. So what I want to ask is, how did maybe that day change you as a man, a teammate, a friend, or the way you move forward with your perspective of life? Well, when that happened, you know, I, it got me thinking a lot about life and death. And I'll just share a little bit about my story. Um, so I, uh, so because of that, what happened, it sent me on a journey and a, a journey of faith. And I'll tell you that, uh, you know, I started searching for answers, like what is life all about? And uh, it led me to, um, to I, I had a pro career. I played 
tried out with the Rockets and the Suns. I played the summer with the Rockets, played in the CBA, which is the minor leagues, for a couple of years, and then went overseas to Germany. And I remember a buddy of mine, Eric Spolstra, who was playing over there in Germany. Um, he was on a on a team about 20 minutes away from me, but we'd hang out a lot, and we'd always ask the question, who am I, what am I doing here? And it got me thinking about, what am I doing here? You know, we're in this foreign country, stuff like that. But um, it, it uh, led me to my relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's the most important decision I've ever made because it's given me peace and hope when I didn't have it especially after Hank died and, and uh, all the stuff going on there and just my journey and my walk in life. And uh, so that's, that's what came out of it. And it's the most important decision I've ever made. So, you know, I, I think all things work together for the good. And, and uh, I think that worked together for, for my good as well. So yeah. that's kind of my story and made me a, um, um, you know, hopefully a, a better friend to people, a better, you know, friendlier, you know, just not to take any day for granted because because of Hank's sudden passing, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And you can tell that it still affects him to this day. I mean, he was there. I think he was actually on the court when, when Hank passed away, unfortunately. All right, our next episode was Patrick Ewing Jr. I kind of nerded out on this one because I was a huge Patrick Ewing fan. Still am. I always get shit from you from that. Um, but it was really cool to talk to Ewing Jr. And I think that one was on a bus, wasn't it? Uh, we were late for the interview because he was on a team bus. They were oh, doing that's the- right like a hotel or something. So he was only like 30 minutes late, but he still gave us so much time. He's so gracious with it. And I mean, that was a really fun one because I remember his dunk contest when, uh, you know, for the college dunk contest and all the amazing dunks that he had. And it's just kind of fun to learn about that. And I mean, I know that was, that was a cool one for you since you're a big Nick fan. In the Staples Center, this is my first time probably being in the Staples Center outside, you know, being on a court at the Staples Center, at least like I'm probably going to a concert there or something like that before, but like, Never like a game, never seeing Kobe, you know, front row, never seeing Lamar Odom, you know, up Pal Gasol. Like, I'm, I'm looking at these dudes like, okay, yeah, this is where I'm at. And I just remember the whole game. I'm just sitting there and I'm like, Kobe's the best player in the world. <laughs> because, because I'm just watching him. And it's not like he's doing anything that's like wowing me, but I can see like mentally the way that he sees the game in his mind is deeper than anybody I've ever been around in my entire life. And, like, you know, talent-wise, he definitely had the talent. But, like, I think the way that he approached the game mentally, like, he – I remember one play, one play, and this was, it, it, it was, it, this was probably my welcome to NBA moment. He had the ball on the left wing, and he's – like, Trevor Ariza is guarding him. And he's looking at Trevor Ariza, but he's looking behind Trevor Ariza. And he has the ball, and he's counting one 1,000, two 1,000. A ref. Tell Emeka he got to get out the lane, and he's telling because so Emeka had been in the lane, and he and so Emeka didn't want to get the defense of three seconds, and he could, obviously he hears Kobe standing there to the ref, so Emeka goes takes a negative step to go clear to get out the lane, and as soon as he takes that negative step, which is what Kobe wanted, Kobe jabbed Trevor and drove baseline, and all you saw was Kobe dunk on Emeka something crazy, and I was like, yo, like how does he do that, like? He, he's thinking the game beyond anybody that I've ever seen before. And I've seen, you know, I've seen Michael Jordan. I've seen Patrick Ewan. I've seen Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Like, I've seen these guys. And, and I thought that the way that he approached it in that way was so different. And that was my, 
my real uh, moment where I was like, yo, the NBA is different. It's, it's definitely, you know, not the easiest being named after your dad and being a famous Nick player and trying to live up to that. But man, he has become such a, an amazing man and, you know, really, really great basketball player and a coach now too, which is awesome. Uh, Anthony Prince was our next one. And uh, that's the dad of Torian Prince. And uh, he was awesome. He told some great stories. That was a really motivating pod, that episode. That's one that I really recommend listeners go back and check out for sure if you're wanting to listen to some episodes. and Because some of these names you might not recognize, you know what I mean? And this is an episode that was very, very, very hard um, and had a wonderful ending too. Yeah, I mean, it was a heavy episode. And if you don't know anything about the story of Torian and Anthony Prince, I mean, you guys really need to check it out. I mean, uh, they talk about the homelessness and he didn't like that we use the term homelessness because he's so grateful that he had that Salvation Army as a home. He learned, he learned, you know, walking from the Salvation Army at 5.30 in the morning. We had to walk about a mile and a half, two miles. It's 30, 40 degrees outside. And let me tell you, when I knew he was learning and picking up stuff from me, it was one day, man, we were walking. I'll never forget in my life. This kid is asking me questions. He's smiling. One, this is just that one morning. I'm like, you know, to me, life was just crap. I'm cold. I got to go back to this, this place at night. I don't feel like I'm adequately taking care of my son. I'm at the Salvation Army. Anthony Prince. I mean, I have some pride. And I was really, my ego was just shattered. It was shattered. That kid, <laughs> about the seventh or eighth question, I was just mad. I looked at him. I said, Torian, how can you how can you keep talking so happily right now and asking me so many damn questions? This kid looked at me, man, and he said, Dad. You told me if I try hard enough, everything will be okay. This is in junior high. Man, I, I almost couldn't let him see it. You know, it brought a little tear. Yeah. But it changed my life too. You know, it made me, I had somebody finally who believed in me. That was really, you know, I, I had my kids and I love all my kids. That particular, at that time, that day, you know, I had family. I had family, man. I had family no matter what I was going through. And I could be, it was the worst and we were happy. He was happy. I, I, I saw, I was, in, I was in the dark. I was so far in the dark and trying to just maintain. You know, I was right. so in the dark and that morning, Everything he said, which were, it was, there were few words, but it meant the world because he listened. He believed. And the things that I told him, he told me right back in that morning. It, it just brought my attention back to where it should be, which was grinding. It's yeah. cold, but it's okay. <laughs> There's light somewhere at the end of the tunnel, Dad. You know, you said it. So I had to, whoa, I had to slap myself a couple of times. And having somebody, I felt outside of my fraternity, some of my fraternity brothers, believing me in that manner, uh, it was just nowhere but the sky's the limit. Yeah. The sky's the limit. And I mean, that hit home for me. And I know that you're a dad. And I mean, if you're a father out there, that's an episode that 
is going to really, really be a heavy one for you. And I mean, it's just really, it's also really cool to kind of see a, a hear a father's perspective on the NBA lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, Travis Reed, why don't you tell one us my, about the Travis Reed one? One of my favorites, man. Uh, he, he's a great dude. We still talk to this day. Um, just r- really, I think a lot of people don't understand the difference of going from a school like UCLA to a smaller school like Long Beach. I mean, there's a huge difference, you know, from transferring and not just the talent level, but all the incentives that come with it. I mean, UCLA gets so much more gear than you go to Long Beach. And I mean, you're just not getting that kind of stuff like you talked about. But uh, I mean, he grew up in a really special era of of Los Angeles basketball in high school. And we got to hear about all those guys like Keith Claw, Shea Cotton, and a lot of great stories in that UCLA. one. UCLA, our first game was against North Carolina uh, when they had it. Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson, the year they went to the Final Four. Um, that was an eye-opening experience, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. I remember, funny story about that game. We're up like 8-0, right? We're, you know, we're, we're beating North Carolina 8-0, right? We're playing the zone. And they do like the patented Dean Smith, North Carolina backdoor live play for Vince. Uh-huh. Vince, like, you can probably see this on YouTube or something now. We were in North Carolina, UCLA. He caught it, like one of my teammates took it out of his hands in the air and like face dunked it. And that was Vince had the 50 inch vertical, whatever he had. He dunked it like that and ran by our bench and was like, Y'all not going to win? <laughs> we looked at each other. <laughs> like, man, maybe we ain't going to win. <laughs> I always in high school, I would always try to go get people's dunks. So they try to dunk on me. I'm trying to go block it. I remember Vince stole the ball from me. And I was running, and I'm running. I'm about to go try to do it, and I was like, "Man, that's Vince Carter." I couldn't be on ESPN, man. So I, I held it up like, <laughs> like, ah, let him dunk, you know. You might have, you might, you might have made the right choice on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would definitely check it out and check out his podcast. It's a great podcast, an athlete's journey. Right on, uh, Angel Reyes. He was uh, a really cool guest. It was an interesting one because of his heritage and. And uh, a lot of stuff happened to him, you know, concerning ESPN and other things, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, he's got great connections. I know he had some ties to Kyrie Irving and just a really intelligent kid. I mean, he's got a lot of goals. I kind of helped him put together a highlight tape to send out to the Mexican national team. And I believe he's working out with them now. So he's doing big things. So I just love when our guests are doing big things after that. Yeah, absolutely. TJ Frederick was our next guest and uh, brother Jimmer. Right. And uh, super, super cool guy. A um, lot of great stories, you know, hearing hearing the stories about him and his brother and and uh, growing up. And uh, you could you could tell I mean, you could tell the love he has for his brother and, and just that bond they have. Yeah. And I just loved learning about the gauntlet. And if you don't know about the gauntlet, definitely go check that out because it's it's really hilarious. You know, some of the training they did at Jimmer and also taking him to the prisons to go play pickup basketball at the prisons when he was in high school. Uh, to play for at the prisons i mean what would you say the intensity level was of those games probably the most intense basketball you'll ever play my friend my next door neighbor had an uncle who worked in the prisons and his job was to bring people in from the outside to do different programs and including sports and so he was bringing some guys in to play basketball it's so intimidating because you you go into all the different parts of the prison you're you're going through gate after gate and you're hearing it locked behind you. It literally feels like you walk through 20 different gates. And then eventually you're in the prison yard 
and you're walking through and they got inmates out there. <laughs> so you're walking through and they start harassing you. And it's almost like Shawshank Redemption at a time where like they're up in the, the tiers and they can see you and they start kind of pounding on the windows and yelling at you. Some guys almost want to leave at that moment, but it's too late. You're locked in at that point. We get into the gym and it's, it's a big gym. And so we start warming up and then all of a sudden they start letting the inmates in to watch and they just, just completely spill into the gym. They just keep coming and keep coming until the whole place is full. And it is so loud in there. It's like really echoey and just a really loud gym. And so you have a, a gym full of inmates all screaming at you, harassing you. And it's just the most intense environment. You know, you're in prison and, and then the, the players come out and the game starts. And once the game begins, the crowd treats it like the Super Bowl because to them, that's their entertainment. And so they're so into the game. So anytime you make a mistake or do something wrong, they let you hear it. They're all over you. But on the flip side, if you do something good, they love it. They'll cheer for you. So at first, Jimmer couldn't play because he was too young. You had to be 18. And so he was kind of chomp, chomping at the bit to be able to have an opportunity to go in and play. And so finally, his senior year, when he turned 18, he came in and played and he got the whole experience, you know, the inmates harassing him and everything, but he absolutely lit it up. He had like 45 and wow. the inmates just absolutely loved him. It was incredible. They cheered for him and just went nuts with everything. You know, he's hitting the deep threes and the whole nine. But he always says that I was so prepared to go into like the pit in New Mexico and the Thomas and Mack Center and UNLV and all these really hostile away games. He said I was so ready for it. Like nothing was going to phase me after playing in prison. Loved learning about that. TJ was an awesome guest. Uh, you know, now we just got to get Jimmer. That's a big one. Now we just got to get Jimmer now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jimmer, come on the show if you're listening. <laughs> Tony Farmer was our next guest. That was season uh, season two still, obviously, episode eight. Um, and uh, really interesting player. You know, San Jose State, Nebraska, uh, made to the NBA. Any thoughts on Tony that you remember from that episode? Yeah, I loved learning about Tony Farmer. Uh, just his journey is really inspiring. I mean, he played 20-plus years um, in the NBA overseas and all those other leagues. Uh, but he was a great guy, too. Gave us a lot of time. Um, I loved learning about the discipline they had growing up. And, you know, just his teammate at San Jose State, amazing shooter, uh, the one that passed away in the NBA. And uh, that was that was also a heavy one for me. So re really appreciate him. He's, he's a great guest. And those Pat Riley stories were Awesome as always. You gotta always love a Pat Riley story. Craziest thing I've ever experienced in the NBA when I was in Miami and I'm sitting on the bench. I wasn't even playing that game. And Michael Jordan had 50 points against us, right? And Pat Riley was humiliatedly mad because he had scored and Michael went down and slapped Pat on the butt and Pat called a timeout. He goes, you <laughs> effing guys, Michael's showing me up and in, 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 in my arena, this is a bunch of BS. I don't know what the hell you think this is. So the next day in practice, we rode the bike for 50 minutes, a stationary bike for 50 minutes with one cup of water. And in, that, in those days, Pat rolled out the big screen TV. He rolled it all out, the big screen. And he said, if I had to watch that SHIT, you guys going to watch it. So we watched all 50 points of Michael, you know, the whole thing. He said, so if I have to watch it, you watch it. And uh, it was like the most craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. You, you know what's funny? We had Paul Nepper on, and he wrote about the 90s Knicks, and he was telling 
all these crazy stories in the book about how Pat Riley was as a coach and all the motivational things he would do, all the crazy intense practices. Would you say that Paul was very accurate in that in terms of, of the intensity of the practices that you guys would have when you were on the heat? Extremely. So I remember the summer I signed with him, Pat had told me in July, he said, okay, our conditioning program starts next week. You got to get prepared. And I'm like, conditioning program in July, how does that make sense? <laughs> and so he said, because he said, when you get to training camp, you're going to see. So we had to run five 17s in a row, five of them in a row, and you had to make them timed. And then after that, practice starts. If you don't make it, you had to come the next day and do it, but still had to go through the practice. We had guys diving across the line, but so then we had 17 straight days of tour days with Miami, 17 straight. Wow. And it's the only NBA team I've ever played for that I've taped for a shoot around because it's almost like a mini practice sweating. His mentality, like if you're not lathered up, you're not ready to play. And yeah. if you're a, a late to practice, it's $500 a minute. Like he didn't, he was very, very disciplined. If you didn't have socks on the, on the plane, he'd be like, uh, run, find him $500. So it was grueling, man. Yeah, I, it's amazing how crazy Pat Riley was, is, you know, <laughs> I always think about uh, Paul Nepper and uh, his story about Pat Riley dunking his head in, in ice cold water and keeping it down there until someone pulled his head up. <laughs> it's just like, wow. <laughs> All right. And then speaking of that, Paul Nepper, we had him on season one. He's got a great uh, book about the 90s Knicks that you should pick up. Speaking of books and just a guy that's absolutely amazing, Matthew Maurer the NBA draft historian that comes on our show all the time. He's the creator of the draftreview.com. This guy always has amazing stories. You want to talk about somebody that loves what he does and how passionate he is about get, to get information correct, this is the man. I mean, we've had him on twice. I love when it comes to draft time because we always get this guy on. He's always so cool with his time. Um, yeah, a lot of great stories from Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's a different episode because normally I have athletes, coaches, or authors, but it was really interesting to learn about how he gathered all this information from every single NBA draft that was ever there. And I mean, it's amazing how many errors there were in the draft and he, and he figured it out, but this was honestly one of my favorite episodes. And if you really want to hear some really great stories, like the Todar story, what would you say is the most bizarre story or craziest obstacle that you had to go through when digging up information on some of those guys? Oh man, man, let me tell you, I've got some crazy stories, but the, the one that uh, really took the cake was um, there was a guy named John Tolbert. He was drafted uh, not that late, actually. It's 1967. The NBA draft uh, encyclopedia had his name as just Toldar. They did not know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> Toldar. That's all, that's all that we, we knew. So I'm, like, looking into it, and they're like, oh, he came from South Carolina State. And I'm like, South Carolina State? I'm like, so I'm, I talk to people at South Carolina State. They're like, look, we don't know anybody named Toldar that ever came here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I use this, and I had to do this so many times, it's not even funny. But I use this thing, um, what a lot of genealogists do, which is a surname um, Soundex. So basically, however your last name sounds, it runs and finds the similar similar names. Wow. So I had to look up each name that kind that that was kind of close to this last name that I got on the NBA encyclopedia book. And I it came to Tolbert and somehow I got lucky where I just typed in Tolbert and um, South Carolina. 
and I and I see him, this guy named John Tolbert. And I'm like, that must be the guy. So I go to the school and I'm like, yeah, I'm looking up South Carolina State because that's what I'm seeing in the news article. No, there's no South Carolina State. I already went to those people. So I'm like, well, what, what the hell is this article talking about? So I try to hone more on this article and, and look within this this company that was the news media that was making this this report and find out there used to be a, a old black junior college named um, South Carolina area trade school. I'm like, okay, I know that doesn't exist anymore. So I find out that it's now called Denmark Technical Community College. So I, I of course, like a, just because you have to, I follow them and I already know what I'm going to get because unfortunately, a lot of data has died, but HBCUs more than any other group, unfortunately. And they were like, look, I don't even know who this guy is. Don't have anything on him. He did attend the school. And, you know, I can just tell you when he went to school. So I'm like, man, I'm stuck. I don't know where, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know where he comes from. I got a last name. I have a first name. So I'm like, I can find a teammate. Maybe I can get a contact and find out like, yo, who is this guy? Yeah. So I, I went through teammates. They're either dead or they're nowhere to be found. And I finally get to this article. There's only one article I found. And this, this goes to show you with how information death happens. There's only one article. And it said that this guy's name was Ray Sean Gaddy. And he was the head coach of this school at the time. And I said, well, I doubt. I said, that name's really unique. So let me hit on that. And I don't find him, but I find a guy with a similar name. And I, and I said to him, hey, random Facebook post. Hey, um, by any chance, is your dad, you know, Rayshon Gaddy? And did he coach at, you know, South, Air, South Carolina Area Trade School? And he writes back to me, says, yes, 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 he did. And I'm thinking this is probably slim because this guy's probably 88, 89 years old. I said, I, I don't mean to be crass, but is he still alive? He's like, yeah, dad, dad's still alive. He gives me his dad. His dad and me, we talk. The son kind of helps be the intermediary between us. Make a long story short, he gives me everything on the guy. Um, definitely check this one out. Um, it, there's nothing like this episode, and he's such an intelligent guy. Really good NBA takes. And, he, I mean, he's my one and only source for any NBA draft content. He's awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. $800 VCR, working at McDonald's <laughs> to buy one. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how much passion this guy has, I do not know what is. And that was a while ago. That wasn't, you know, he's not buying $800 VCRs right now. That'd be insane. I mean, there probably are that much because all the hipsters nowadays, you know, using VCRs again. Dance Cam Mom, Dance Cam Mom, Dance Cam Mom was awesome. She was so much fun. She was super high energy, just like she is on the on the big screen. And uh, she had a lot of cool stories. Yeah, Robin Schreiber. I mean, that's a Warriors super fan. Um, she's the one that dances in the sweater. She's also known as a sweater mom. I mean, if you're a Warriors fan, you know exactly who she is. And I always love hearing, you know, from super fans. I know we had Clipper Daryl in season one. And I mean, it was just a really a joy to learn about her story, how, how she became a Warriors fan. And I mean, she was there for all the historic games, uh, you know, back in the 70s watching Rick Barry. So, I mean, she's not a bandwagon fan. She is a true fan. I danced with Steph, Draymond, uh, KD, and Clay said to me, they leaned way down and they said, I don't dance. I don't <laughs> dance. Uh, Steve Kerr does dance. And I, I got, I ran into him at a restaurant um, in New Orleans 
this was not during, obviously not during the game. He was with his family. <laughs> in walks Steve Kerr. I said, can you just, can you just wait one second? Just a quick selfie. And he kind of looked at me like he kind of knew who I was, but his wife started slapping on the arm. Oh my God, it's the dance camp mom, it's the dance camp mom, it's the dance camp. <laughs> and, his, and his daughter was like, oh my God, like, and he, like, get out of here, dad, you're nothing. <laughs> and so we went, he said, I will taste, I will take a picture if you go into the bar and show me some of your dance, some of your dance moves. So we, the two of us went into the bar by then my husband and son were out taking videos of it. And um, I think he spilled his, he spilled a drink all over himself. <laughs> but um, I don't know how he did it. He was dancing all the way to the ground. And this was when his back was really bad, but he did dance with me. And he told me a really funny story. Um, when, when, uh, when we were in the, the ballroom at the Ritz doing the PR thing, um, he said, he came he, across the room. So I went over and he said, you need to stop that dance and you need to stop it right now. And I thought he was like serious. He was really mean. And, and I said, oh, and he said, every time you're dancing, you're up on the jumbotron. They're watching you. All the players are watching you and they're supposed to be listening to me. <laughs> she is a true fan. True. Yeah, fan. which I love, too. I mean, it's so cool to hear that, you know, not somebody just jumping on in the last, you know, half decade or whatnot. Um, like 90 percent of the Knicks fans at the Garden the other day when uh, Curry took over the three-point you know makes back up, for the, back up for the wrong reasons every historic moment happens in the garden i know or the other team for one the of these other. one of these days we'll start having some historic moments in the garden again dino raja dino raja i mean what a great episode that was hearing about uh hearing about what it was like being a european player back in the day you know and understanding like a lot of these people were going through wars in their countries and playing ball and whatnot that guy his path to the nba you know just like petro just like vladi i mean their their stories are really 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 powerful and it, and it kind of gives you a different insight that you don't normally get so that's one definitely to check out yeah and i mean him growing up with tony kukoc and you know the impact that they had you know playing against the dream team and what and what they did for their country and you know basketball overseas uh, that team was really important. You played on that amazing Croatia Olympic team in 92 that got that silver medal. We talked about this earlier in the podcast, talking about Bird and and these players that you had heard about. What was it like playing against them? You know what? Uh, that game was huge, very important in on so many levels. First, it was war in my country and uh, us being uh, Croatians, you know, showing the people that Croatia exists, that there is a war, there is some, you know, bombing and shooting over there, made it, uh, you know, more than than a game. And then, you know, my generation was very much uh, responsible for uh, assembling, uh, assembling the Dream Team because <clears throat> 1987, uh, we beat American team twice, a junior world championship in uh, in Bormio. We beat them again in 1990 in the world championship, 1990 in Argentina. Then, uh, you know, you guys realize you're not going to beat us anymore with the college kids. That you need to put, you know, the, your, your big guns around. So 
that's why the dream team was assembled and uh, you know I'm very proud of that and uh, you know playing against those guys that you uh, look at them as uh, you know untouchable gods it was an unbelievable experience and also a great experience that we showed not only them not only NBA but ourselves that uh, we can do well and I, th I think that uh, that uh, Olympics uh, help everybody uh, realize that uh, you know you can go to NBA and you can succeed. Who were some of the names that we would recognize that were on those teams in the 1990 game and the 87 game? It was yes. Tony, Divac, uh, myself, Dražen Petrovic, Djordjevic, Vrankovic, Stojko. Uh, all of these guys played in, in NBA uh, many years. And very, a lot of those names are 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 big time names that changed. Were were part of that that group that changed the game. I mean, Drazen was amazing. I mean, Divas was amazing. There's a lot of guys on that team. So it's <clears throat> it's really cool that you guys did that. Where where you basically forced our hand to to have pro players play in that in that '92 Olympics for that that first time ever. That was a really important team. And I mean, D Dino Raj is a Hall of Famer. That was our first Hall of Fame athlete that we had on the show. Yep. Uh, that, was, that was a special one. I remember he was in his car out in the snow, you know, back home, you know, waiting for his son to come out of practice. And uh, I just really appreciated his time that day. Yeah, he was super generous with it, man. And everybody, you know, right around that time period, man, in a lot of those episodes, you're going to hear Tony's name dropped a lot, man. People... You know, there's a, a lot of respect for Tony's game, you know, and Tony was a, a really good NBA player, too. But I don't think we really understood how great of a player Tony was. You know what I mean? Where a, a lot of the Europeans, you know, talk about him like in that upper echelon of players. I mean, we get to we get to hear that a lot, which is cool. Uh, Jonathan Tavernari, um, Bishop Gorman legend, BYU, uh, really cool guy, you know, um, had a lot of respect for Oscar Schmidt. Um, just talked about that those those rivalries you know him going to BYU instead of UNLV you know those type of things it's he was a really cool guy to talk to yeah and that's somebody I got the chance to play against in high school he's a phenomenal player in high school I mean really phenomenal player and what he did at BYU I think uh I think a lot of people don't understand just how efficient he was and how unselfish he was I mean him offering to come off the bench like players of his caliber really don't do that especially in college these days and I mean, I admire that. I mean, he basically sacrificed his draft stock for the better of the team, uh, went over, had a great career overseas, uh, loved learning about how Raja Bell and, you know, Leandro Barbosa kind of helped him, you know, uh, adjust to that bench role. So was right. that a hard role to accept? That was actually my idea. And here where it came from. Last time I took a break from basketball was between my senior year at Gorman and my freshman year at BYU. I'm playing the Olympic tournament and world championships. Um, but I was spending a lot of time with Leandro Barbosa. Leandro had won six men of the year with the Suns. Leandro was like, man, this is the best thing. You come off the bench, you change the game, people love you. And so I was spending a lot of time talking to him and just because Leandro also played for my mom. Leandro saw me grow up. Between my junior and senior year, I got engaged. I went back to Brazil to play for the national team. But I actually had a bigger role this year because one of the older guys was hurt. And so I was getting all this attention, all this hype. I had seven-figure contracts in front of me ready to sign. When I was in Puerto Rico, I was about to get married. There was so much stuff going on. And I didn't start the year well. I was tired. I had been playing basketball for a while, nonstop, no break. 
And so we had a game at, at Utah State, and I played awful. And like you said, at that point, I was the preseason player of the year for the Mountain West, preseason all Amer uh, second team All-American, late first round, second round pick. I felt the pressure of the world on my shoulders. And so I went to coach, I'm like, hey, listen, the chance of me going to the NBA is very small because of my body type of how I play all of that. And I know that I already have contracts that I can sign. Bring me off the bench and give me five to 10 minutes when I come in to just let me do what I do. I've earned your trust as a senior to do this, but it worked. I was on the phone with Leandro a lot. There are a couple of times that Steve Nash hopped on a call. Uh, Amare, Raja Bell, Leandro really helped me a ton, but then I flourished. You know, coming off the bench, everybody was like, how can you stop this team? Jimmer is coming into his zone. Tyler Hawes is a beast. Jackson Amory is a great defender. And then when you think that they're going to take a break, they bring one of the best three-point shooters in Mount West Conference history off the bench. At first, it was difficult, but it, it paid a lot of dividend. It also set up my entire professional career because I became a sixth man in my professional career. But I have a lot of respect for that guy. We got to get him back. He was a lot of fun. Yeah, he was super cool. Uh, next episode was an important one to me because my son's autistic, Jason McElwin. Um, you probably might recognize the name, but hot as a pistol, if you remember all those three-pointers that kid was hitting in that high school game. That was a special story and, and uh, really, really cool kid. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he made a lot. He he was on the news a lot, you know, CNN, ESPN, because yep. he's the autistic manager that hit all those threes. And, I mean, like I said, I know that one hit home for you. And he was a great guest. I mean, that was also another heavy one for me. Um, so, I mean, definitely check that one out. I think you guys will enjoy that one a lot. Yeah, and then uh, our next episode was Ricky Pierce, Deuces, uh, NBA All-Star, uh, Sixth Man of the Year twice. Really, I remember him playing with the Pacers. I remember you know, how tough he was going up against my Knicks. Really cool guy, too. A lot of great stories from him. Yeah, he was great. And his other nickname, Big Paper Daddy. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of fun to learn about how that nickname came about. But I just remember how... Uh, how shocked he was when with the research that we did, you know, some of the questions that you had, that we had, I remember he was, you know, very impressed with some of the research that we did on him and uh, you know, just the impact that Don Nelson had on him is a lot of fun to learn about. He's a great player. He's a really underrated player in the nineties for sure. Thank Don Nelson for as being a, a professional basketball player. You know, he showed me more how to play on the pro level. And that's when I really got that understanding of the game, the way he would teach you. I mean, and throughout the process. And of course, with Sidney Moncrief there, I've always respected him, his work ethics, his approach to the game. You know, he came and he put the work in every day. Uh, and of course, my college coach, Mike Shuler, he was on board there and that helped a lot. So. I mean, I pretty much understood after the first couple of years what it was going to take. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you brought up Don Nelson because I actually read an article where he apparently almost cut you, but was in awe of your work ethic. It, do you remember that story? Is that a true story? And what can you tell us about Don Nelson and what he meant to your career moving forward? i tell you what, I didn't know. Did you read that? You knew about that, huh? Nelson yeah, I read an article about it. Wow. And, you know, Nelson told me that story. You know, I had a – my knee was bothering me, right? It was sore and I had tendonitis or something was wrong with it. So I would go up to the gym after practice and I'm running the stands. 
you know, and he told me, he say, hey, man, I was watching you. I've been watching you. I mean, a guy that work as hard as you, I have to give a, I have to see when you get healthy, I have to give you a shot. And after all the stuff was over with, he had told me, he said, I was going to cut you, man. But I had to wait and see because you were putting all that extra work in, right? And then one game, we was playing a game when I got back on the court. I scored like 13, 15 points in quick minutes, and we won the game, right? And so and he said in the paper, I have to play this guy every game now. He won that game for us. And when he said that, I said, okay, Nelson, you said it. Oh, dude, he always gave the next fits, man. I, I remember him for sure. Always gave the next fits. Uh, episode 15, this one I think was our biggest biggest player, biggest guest we've ever had on the show. Um, and I was nervous. I think you were nervous too. I mean, we, we had the oh, holy yeah. hand, Oscar Schmidt. I mean, you know, basketball's all-time leading scorer. You know, Larry Bird inducted him into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, this was an important episode for Not My House, but I think it was one of those episodes – that blew my mind because here we are talking to the guy that went off in the 88 Pan Am games that basically changed the course of history because of that game. Essentially, we ended up having, um, you know, uh, basketball NBA players play in the Olympics, which is the first time we ever did that, which was in the 92 Olympics after that. And uh, he was so generous with time, really cool guy, really cool on why he wore the number he wore. Um, I don't want to give too much away. It's an episode you really should listen to. Oscar really needs to get, you know, really needs for that name to continue on in history. You know what I mean? Because he's oh, yeah. so important. You know, I mean, the, I don't even want to go any further. Talk about him for a second. I just got to say what an honor it was. I mean, that's one of my childhood idols. And I know for Jonathan Tavernari, they're both from Brazil. So for Tavernari, that was one of his idols also. But I mean, if if you're a basketball fan, you have got to listen to that episode. I mean, if you don't know who Oscar Schmidt is, is what you have absolutely got to educate yourself on who that man is because he's the leading scorer over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's one of the greatest Olympic Olympians of all time. Uh, I mean, he's the Michael Jordan in Brazil. You know, he's the Michael Jordan of Brazil. He's he's, he's a he's a Michael Jordan of European basketball. Oh yeah. I mean, let's be real. I mean, that guy. And and you know, look if you. Depending on how much of a basketball fan you are, if you want to educate yourself, go on to YouTube, watch the Pan Am game, the 1988 Pan Am game. Watch how much passion that that team had. Watch how much passion he played with. I mean, and the announcers talking about him in that game. I mean, that's history right there. You want to learn about history and basketball, that's the game you really should watch. I wanted to ask about your wife really quick because it sounds like she played a very important role in your career. And can you maybe he tell was, our listeners how you met? Because I think it's a great story. Well, it was my rebounding machine my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> when we start uh, dating, we were 17. I hurt my ankle very badly. I stayed with the cast on for three months. I, made, I need to make some exercise with the, with the leg. And I was doing that, and then I saw this girl, wow, I get the bus that she gets. And this cast that was nothing to, to, to push on the floor, when we start getting the same bus, Christina start to help me to get in, in the bus, and we start dating. So I took the cast off, 
and my ankle swallow a lot. And I, I need to, to practice alone. And practice alone is tough. It's good just if you score because the ball came to you. But if you miss, tum, 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 tum. And I need to walk. And I shoot again, tum, 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 tum. And I said to her, Chris, I'm alone there. I don't talk to anybody. You could go there and I can, we can talk. If you want to pass me the ball, okay. One week pass me the ball, one month pass me the ball. I'm going to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we married. <laughs> she was the, the best person I had in my life. She, she practiced with me. She was, she was unbelievably good. She was a girl that helped me a lot. Even in, when I play bad, I read something in the newspapers that I didn't like it. And, and she said, don't read the papers, Oscar. Go practice. Because practice is the only thing that can help you. Can you believe a girl saying this to a professional player? So that's what I did. Yeah, and, and to relate this to you know, the younger generation, this was Kobe Bryant's idol growing up. Kobe yep. Bryant's idol was Oscar Schmidt. So definitely educate yourself on him. An unbelievable experience to have to have that experience. Oh man, I was flying high, dude, for a week after that interview. Like I could not believe we got him, you know. And then we're talking to him, and it's just a man. And he was so cool. It's a great interview. Please listen to it. Jordan Lewis the third. Stay focused, Zach. Tell me about him. <laughs> I just love that, he, uh, you know, it was really interesting to learn about a college athlete during the pandemic and all the struggles that they go through. But he's a very motivated kid. I know that he's doing big things right now. He plays at the, Dy at the Dykeman, all that stuff. And, you know, it was also really, really awesome to hear about a superstition, putting, putting his earrings in a sock, which sounds painful, but whatever works, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was classic. I was like, wow, that doesn't seem like the best place for him unless you had. And I don't know if you remember this. You might be too uh, you might be too young, but. They had uh, was it was it Ruse? Ruse had the like zipper pocket in the sneakers. Did you know yeah. about that? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like man, you should just put them in those. You know what I mean? If they if they were still around back then, uh, Matt Doherty, he's an author, he's an yeah. author and a coach and an NCAA champion, and he also played with uh, Michael Jordan at North Carolina. I mean, uh, that was a very cool episode. Uh, make sure you buy his book, you know. And uh, wh what'd you get from that Doherty interview? I just love that he shit on you from being from Jersey and trying to say that you could relate to New Yorkers. He's like, no, you can't. No, you cannot. It's the Knicks, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Jets, the Giants, the Mets, the Yankees. You know, it's a great place to, to grow up as a kid. Absolutely. I grew up in New Jersey, so I know exactly what you're talking about. You're, you're, uh, no, you're talking no, you don't. Jer Jersey's totally different. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, Here we you, go. You had, you, had, you had nothing in Jersey. I mean, you had no... I mean, you had to either identify with a New York team or a Philly team. Very confusing. And if you want to make a left turn, you got to go right first. It's a very confusing state. Totally different than Long Island. Don't try to group in with Long Island. Please, please. Yeah. That was my favorite part of the episode. But uh, just learning about Michael Jordan College and, uh, you know, just his experience with MJ and just that championship and just kind of his struggles of, what he dealt with on his you know journey to the NBA at the NBA draft, all that stuff. But 
also just learning about his coaching was, you know, really fun for me because I'm a coach and I, I love learning from other coaches and check out his book rebound. I mean, if you want to learn more about him as coaching and his journey, you know, definitely check out the book. That's a good one for the holidays. Yeah, definitely check out the book. Um, Larry Owens is our, uh, next guest that we had in episode 18 for our NBA player, Oral Roberts alumni. We don't get many Oral Roberts alumni. So what did you take from that episode, my friend? Well, I've known Larry for a long time. Uh, it was really awesome that he gave us the time and to catch up with him. But that, that was during the big Oral Roberts run during the NCAA tournament. So that was a fun, that was a big one for us. Um, but yeah, you're right. We don't get a lot of Oral Roberts alumni because there's not a whole lot of them, but uh, his journey to basketball is awesome. You got to play with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Ginobili and, you know, play some of the greats and got to play overseas. And I know now that he, I know now he's coaching girls basketball and he's he's got he's had a lot of success at that. And he was also the first guy to enter the bubble in the TBT when they first uh, had the first sporting event in, yeah. uh, during the pandemic. So that was a lot of fun to learn about, too. And I mean, talk to us about the grind of making it to the NBA and the lifestyle because you played overseas, the G League. There's a lot of back and forth going on. Did you ever feel like it was almost too much? Like, did you ever think about quitting or do you finally remember maybe getting that call up and what it meant to you? Um, didn't want to quit, but the grind is real and the grind is real when you're going overseas and you some teams you practice twice a uh, twice a day and you play twice a week and the grind is real. Um, and then when you get to the D League, you have, you know, GMs every night and you're going against guys that are just as hungry as you. And, um, you know, when you finally get that phone call that somebody wants to call you up, it's just it, it feels like you're, you know, weights off your shoulders like you finally made it, you know. And when I got that phone call with the, um, the Spurs, um, my agent, he said, well, I got good news and bad news. I was like, okay, it was after showcase. He said, the bad news is you went one for seven from the three-point line. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, don't remind me. And then he said, the good news is the Spurs want to call you up. They love what you did defensively, and you shot the ball pretty well, you know, honestly, in the showcase. So just being noticed, you know, your hard work paying off from the overseas and the D-League and then finally getting your shot is just – a great feeling. I mean, how surreal was it to walk into the locker room? You see Greg Popovich, Tim Duncan, Parker Ginobili for the first time. And what did you learn from those guys in a short amount of time? What did they teach you? Oh, man. Um, the very first time I met Tim Duncan, you know, we're teammates now, and I call him sir. And <laughs> he said, man, don't call me sir. You call me Timmy. I'm like, all right, all right. So, you know, uh, he's man. He was a goofball. To uh, Tony Parker, they're all they're all great guys. Um, they're laid back, um, but at the same time, there's you know they can get serious when it's time. And they taught me to be a pro first, and just get your workouts in, and then you can enjoy you know, you know, you know the fruits of it afterwards. So they just taught me to be a pro first, and that's what I tried to do. Oh yeah, what a crazy you know, very interesting how they did that. And we were talking about how important that was in terms of. You know, the TBT was really like the thing that was going to be the the test, the test dummy for everything, right? If it doesn't work, then the NBA season doesn't finish. Like NFL probably doesn't work. They they showed that you can do it and be safe, and and you know, thank God for the TBT coming through. You know, and they were really smart about their protocols. You know, I have to I have to definitely give them credit for that. Uh, season nine, episode nineteen was a huge one. Kane Ma, um, that was a really really interesting one. Uh, there were some things I learned that I never knew, like uh, about how uh, North Carolina has a like a JV team. I did not know that. That was really interesting. And then, 
you know, we talk a lot with players about all different kind of things. We're an open book in terms of, you know, letting players talk about whatever they want to. But mostly it's just basketball stuff we do talk about. But, you know, Kane went through a lot of a lot of crap. Um, you know, Kane went through, you know, being racially profiled and beaten up on campus. You know what I mean? Because of his race. And, and I think it was just awful. It was an amazing story. You know, and it was great because, you know, we got to talk a lot about, about basketball with him, too, which I know he wanted to talk about because, he, you know, everybody talks to him about what happened to him and all that other stuff. And remember when he started the interview, he's like, man, I'm really excited that we, we get to talk about, about basketball. And I thought that was cool. And I think that was a very uplifting and, you know, an episode that, you know, people need to listen to to learn more about how to respect everybody from different races and cultures and backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, everybody wanted to talk to him about the situation because that news just kind of came out during the time. And, you know, I think he really appreciated that. We just want to learn learn about him, his journey, and then get into that. And I think once you kind of listen to him and, you know, how he got into basketball and for anybody out there, you just realize that these guys are just like us. I mean, we're yep. all the yep. same. Uh, we're all the same. We all have the same interests. We all have the same loves, you know, and obviously like we have different interests, but I mean, we're, we're the same and, and we just got to treat each other as, as equals. Yeah, I completely agree, man. And, and you know, what's funny, man, we're, you know, we're both basketball players. It's like, you know, I think sports in general really teaches you that, you know, I think if more people played sports, they realize like, Hey, you know what? We're all, we're all the same, man. I mean, not really. I don't have a 42 inch vertical or anything, but <laughs> you know what I mean, like, you know, it, we all we really all are the same man we just you know want the best for life man and and that was a great positive you know episode with him i'm really glad he came on and talked to us horns down talk to us about the horns down episode paul hepler this was awesome for me because you know i love the ncaa tournament and i mean you might remember him from throwing up that horns down after oh uh, yeah yeah after abilene christian you know beat texas and learning about all of the attention that he got after he threw up that horns down. I mean, he, he instantly became a, na- a, a national like phenom. I mean, he, he blew up the internet from that. What made you throw the, the horns down in that moment? And can you explain to our listeners exactly what that means? Cause I, I feel like I know what it means, but just so our listeners know. So I'm not, I'm not from Texas, as you know, um, I'm not a huge college football guy. You know, I'll watch college football, but I'm not really like ingrained in the culture, especially of Texas college football. But, um, I was walking to my bus and I get on the bus, we're driving to the game and I see some random, uh, guy on the side of the road and he's doing this to our bus. He's doing this. And I was like, it's kind of cool. I kind of like that. And, and I saw people like put the logo of Texas, like upside down, uh, and with like an ACU on it, but I never knew like, this was like a big deal, like, especially like for Texas fans, but apparently that's like the, the biggest middle finger you can give to like Longhorns fans. So, you know, I have like this feeling like, dude, go do that. Like after the game and like, I, I do it and I, I, I didn't know I was going to blow up. I didn't know that people were going to like go nuts over it. But um, my brother was like one of the first people I called after the game. He's like, bro, do you know what you just did? And I was like, no, I have no idea. He's like, dude, that's like the biggest middle finger for Texas fans. He's like, you just threw it up on national TV. So it was it was funny seeing that, but I honestly didn't know how how big of a deal that the uh, the horns down is. <laughs> yeah, because my buddy and I were joking. We we're like, oh man, like the state of Texas is, is going to be rioting after that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you, if that doesn't make the one shining moment video, I don't I don't know I don't know what will. So 
learning his story is also awesome because he was a role player. He's the energy guy. He's always the guy on the bench that's cheering people on. And I just loved learning about how important those guys are to a team, you know, when you bring good energy to the bench and just learning about what he offered to the team in practice, like really working the starters hard and really bringing that energy every single day. Um, if, if you're a bench player out there or if you don't really know what a bench player offers, go listen to that because you will have a whole new respect for players like that. Yeah, and I think it's important too because, you know, we definitely live in that me, me, me generation. Look at me, selfie, 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 all that stuff. And, you know, that guy being a team player when you're a bench player, role player, like especially if you're working your ass off in practice, it only helps the team out like tremendous you know what i mean like preparing for games the same thing with football like scout team you know scout o scout d helps you prepare for the team you're playing that week i mean that stuff is not talked about enough and it really should be um i think season uh season two episode 21 was the first time we talked to a gm is that correct mr mike iliano from uh tbt team 23 is that correct yeah mike iliano uh he was also friends with larry he had larry on his on team 23 uh their first go around but i just love learning about that mike's somebody that you know i've been texting back and forth all the time uh he's he's a great guy always trying to help people and he's a great basketball mind and um i think if if uh, you don't know really what a gm and the tbt goes through uh it's definitely a fun one to listen to and he had great stories too i mean he really did he had great stories about larry and some other players in the tbt so i think you'll really enjoy that no i agree um and our most popular episode in terms of downloads was this next episode episode 22 uh chris heron and yeah. that was uh just an amazing you know you can tell why that guy's a public speaker you can tell why why that guy is who he is just from that that time that we had with him very generous with his time talking to him uh, you know, we're both East Coast guys, so it was really cool to hear about Manhunt and things like that that only my East Coast listeners listening to the pod will understand if you're in your 30s and 40s. If you were in the woods in New Jersey or New York and those places, Boston, Connecticut, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. He was great with, uh, with just how inspiring the story was. I mean, dude, he's buying drugs in a Boston Celtics warm-up jersey in front of the stadium before the game. Like, yeah. I mean, how much lower can you get to now? He is, he is really an amazing motivational speaker, runs his own business, really reaches out and helps people with addictions. It's, I mean, that was such, that's another episode, man, that, you know, if you're, if you're listening to the show, you're trying to find an episode or two to pick out, that's another one you really should check out. And, and obviously it's the most downloaded one we have. So, you know, a lot of people agree. Stigma around addiction. There was a point in my life where, Sobriety wasn't attractive because I was always going to be a junkie. I was always going to be a dope fiend. I was always going to be a heroin addict. I was always going to be a criminal with a record. My life was over and it was real. So, so there were times in my, in my addiction, I was like, why, why am I going to get sober? For what? You know, for what? What is it? What's going to really change? You know, I'm not going to be able to work. I'm not going to be able to get good jobs. I'm always going to be labeled. And the, the reality to that is, you know, recovery allows you to grow fast and it keeps you on your toes and present 24 seven. To me, people in recovery have a huge advantage because, you know, they're alert, they're awake, they're present. 
There's no mind altering drugs in their system. You know, they're not hung over. They're not up all night, you know? So there are unbelievable advantages to being sober and, and just the, the, the empathy and, and the understanding of what people struggle with, because, you know, the reality is struggle is relative and struggle is to me, is just struggle. Like I can hug someone who suffers from depression and really empathize with them because I know what it's like to be sad. I know what it's like to, to feel like it's not going to get better. Um, so, you know, it, it, there are, sadly, the stigma has, has held a lot of people back. And, you know, it, I know one thing, who I am today and what I've accomplished today is because of my sobriety, you know, and, and what sobriety has given me the strengths and the people, um, you know, that are part of my team and I'm a part of theirs is who I am today. You know, and, and the reality is it's people like you and who, you know, are willing to talk about it and raise awareness and, and create this space for people to, to be educated and learn. Yeah. And I mean, obviously he's got the documentaries and uh, just for our listeners who might not have listened to that one, we really tried to ask questions that weren't answered in the documentary. Uh, So, I mean, you'll definitely get a lot of new stories, um, you know, that aren't in the documentary from that. Uh, But yeah, really inspiring guy. So gracious at this time and just his, his bounce back is incredible. I mean, that is, he's truly one of the most incredible human beings I've ever had the chance to talk to. And I just can't wait to shake his hand one day. Oh, hands down, man. And you know what? It's the one thing you brought up a good point is like we do try to ask a lot of different questions too. You know what I mean? A lot of the guests that we have on, we we shoot for too because we feel like they have really compelling stories and I think that makes for a good pod. Um, another com- you know, interesting story is Dr. Nick Elam, the Elam ending. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's something – think about you're creating something that is something that hasn't been in basketball. I mean, that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, I mean, if anybody – watches the TBT, you'll know what the Elam ending is. But I mean, it basically eliminates late game fouling and uh, everything's a buzzer beater. So it's it really makes basketball exciting. And, you know, at first when you hear the rule, you'll say this will never work. But then once you watch it, it really brings a whole new excitement to basketball. And I think that, you know, maybe like high school levels or, you know, teams with, you know, without a shot clock should really look into this. Because I just think it makes the game more fun, and it makes it makes teams take more pride in their defense. And I mean, it's basically schoolyard basketball. And I mean, everybody loves the. It's basically game point. So um, learning about him and how that how that came about was really interesting to me. Absolutely, Julius Page, uh, another great interview. Former Pitt Panther and pro player. I know you really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the most exciting college players I ever got to watch. Just a 6'3", explosive guard who took pride in his defense. And he was great, man. I mean, he, he was a funny guy. Lots of great stories. Uh, I mean, I think anybody would really love that one, especially the Big East college basketball fans. But that dunk on Ruben Boomche, Boomche. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> did you know that that's going to be recognized as like one of the biggest dunks of all time in college? Okay, well, no, I didn't think it was going to be that iconic um, when it happened. I was just trying to win a game. You know, they were undefeated at that time. And on film, uh, you know, they were intimidating to watch because they had him. They had another guy about 6'11 who could shoot it. They had Kevin Braswell, Demetrius Hunter, uh, Mike Sweetney. On paper, it was not – that wasn't even supposed to be a close game. We wasn't even supposed to win that game. But the day before that, after watching film – I remember talking to my uncle on the phone and telling him that I was going to have to try to dunk on him. And the reason is because when you're a freshman, 
Referees don't give you anything. And I remember trying to go to the basket and use my body and you know how you adjust it and try to finish. Anytime you do all of that as a freshman, they're not giving you anything. You might as well just go and try to just go strong because the minute you start trying to draw the fouls, they're going to look at you like, freshman, get up off the ground. <laughs> so right before that play, I went to the basket and Boomjay met me at the rim. I tried to hit him with the, the body. I felt like I was fouled. I hit the ground. And I remember just getting up and thinking to myself, I should have just tried to dunk it. Okay. And the next time I touch it, I'm just going to go in there and dunk it. So the very next time I touched it, it was in that situation. And I just was going to take off whether he was standing there or not standing there. My mind was already made up that I was taking off the dunk it. And he just happened to felt like it was, you know, I mean, it's his job though. He's a shot blocker. When yeah. You're, when you're a shot blocker, you have to contest that. So, you know, it's a part of his job description. He had to. And, you know, sometimes you're the bird, sometimes you're the statue. Yeah. And right around this time, we had a lot of TBT, you know, players and alums on from the show. Uh, Chris Thomas, GM, coach of primetime players. He was really cool. Really enjoyed talking to him about, you know, being a player, being a GM, being a coach. Really, really interesting, you know, kind of stuff you don't normally get. Yeah, I mean, learning about the minor leagues and some of the struggles that you go through in the minor leagues as a GM and a player. And I mean, remember, there's a game that he didn't have enough players suiting up, so he had to go put a jersey on. He's out there in like his jeans and sneakers and <laughs> reversible jersey. I mean, that's, that's the most minor league story ever right there. Oh, dude, you're talking about love for the game right there. Uh, Eric Dievendorf, that was another great one, uh, former Syracuse pro, TBT star, uh, really cool guy. A lot of great stories in that episode. Yeah, I mean, high school teammates with Kevin Durant and those guys. I'm, uh, I mean, the four-overtime game at Syracuse against Connecticut. Loved yep. learning about that. And, I mean, he played for the Bighorns, and I got to watch him live quite a few times. So that was a fun one for me. I have a lot of respect for that guy. With oh, yeah. With all the charities and the giveaways that he's doing around this time of year. I mean, he, he's a really great dude in the community. You know, at the night after the game after that, we went into another overtime. So we really played seven overtimes you know we went into overtime of west virginia the next day it was all set up for some special you know big east tournament at madison square garden new york city like that was the best tournament of all time i don't care what anyone says like now that it's being played in barclays it's not the same you know that and, and it's even if it is played in madison square garden it's not the same big east like that big east was like that's what everyone was tuning into like i don't care what other conference tournaments was on you were watching that big east tournament at madison square garden and it was syracuse yukon uh, that rivalry right there. And then you had Calhoun and Bayheim, and it started with them because they already had that little bit of tension in between, you know, between each other. And then you had those individual matchups like uh, myself, AJ Price. And then you had Johnny Flynn, Kemba Walker, AO with the beat, Jeff Adrian. It was so many um, storylines in the game. And like I said, biggest tournament, Madison Square Garden, ESPN. You know, it's like you're in a big stage with the lights, how they're on you. And I just remember going back and forth the whole game. You know, we're doing our chirping and things like that. And uh, obviously, I hit that shot at the end of the game. I Obviously, I thought it counted because I wouldn't have turned around and jumped on the table if it didn't. Uh, but uh, it just, just you know, pure emotion and, and uh, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. You know, turn, got up, said what I said, you know, showboated for a little bit. Um, and then they waved it off, had to come back down to reality. And I remember Coach in the huddle was just like, all right, let's. Let's go out there and do it again. And I, I just remember after, you know, after the game, coaches in the locker room and just didn't really say anything. You know, he wasn't really, he was just kind of like, whew, like a sigh of relief. Kind of, he let out a sigh of relief and he was just like, man, I'm proud of you guys. Like, this is a unbelievable game to be a part of. Um, this is history. I remember, 
you know, going back to the hotel after the game, it was an instant classic right away. Uh, got in the ice bath right away. <laughs> Next day, get up in the morning, do our stretches and go to the weight room in the hotel and, and get ready again against West Virginia. Like I said, another overtime with Deshaun Butler and Devin Ebanks, guys like that. So, you know, it didn't get any easier. That whole tournament was special, man. And obviously the 6 OT was was the topper. But that group that year here was special, man. We had some talented guys. and It was, it was pretty fun to be a part of. Absolutely. Uh, Tom Van Arsdale, that was an excellent, excellent episode. Anytime we get to hear about old school basketball, you know, um, from guys that played in, in the NBA back in the day, hearing about rights that that states would have, I mean, that was mind-blowing where it was like, depending on where you went to school, that co- that co- that pro team could have your rights before anybody else could. Um, and then his brother popped on towards the end of the episode. That was cool. Yeah. It was kind of like a two-for-one we weren't expecting. Yeah, Dick Van Arsdale hopped on for a good minute. And uh, I mean, I, I just love those guys. Twin brothers uh, still living together, still doing art together. I mean, their art shows are really incredible. So definitely go check out their website that's in their episode. But I mean, when you say old school basketball, I mean, we're talking 50s, 60s yeah. era basketball. And uh, just learning about uh, how he was sitting courtside from the famous shot that they later made the movie Hoosiers on. I mean, that was also really interesting. I mean, that, that's, how, that's how throwback this one was. So that's definitely a fun one. Everybody should go listen to that one. You played an incredible era against the Russells, the Chamberlains, Jerry West, Oscar, Rick Barry. So what was your welcome to the league moment? Who's the first guy to really kick your butt to where you're thinking like, wow, I'm in the NBA? Well, when I went to training camp, you know, People don't realize the step it takes to go from college to pros. And a lot of it is your mentality, your, your strength, your aggressiveness. I tell young kids today, if you want to become a very good basketball player, you have to be aggressive. You have to control it. You have to love the game. And, and that's typical. These, most of these young kids who make it are that way. But um, I remember playing a game against the Philadelphia 76ers. And, and my first two or three years in the league, I played guard. Um, and Hal Greer was guarding me. Now, Hal was a wily veteran with the Philadelphia 76ers. They had a great team. Will was on the team. Cunningham was on the team. So we were playing them in Philadelphia. And I would go up for a jump shot. And Hal Greer would raise his one arm up high like he was going to try to block my shot. And the other hand went down and tapped as I was jumping for my jump shot. He would hit the top of my sneaker to throw off my jump shot. And I thought, this isn't right. You know, that's dirty basketball. <laughs> so I said, I didn't say anything. Hal was a veteran. He's a Hall of Fame player. So we kept playing. The next time I came down, a few plays later, I tried to shoot another jump shot. And he did the same thing. Put his hand up in the air. The referee only looks up above. They don't look below. He's sneaking the left hand down. He hits me on the top of my sneaker. Just throws off my shot. I said, Hal don't do that anymore. That's about all I said. We do talk to each other out there. <laughs> so we game goes on. So the third time he does it, I miss all three shots every time he tapped the top of my sneaker. So we come down, we're going back the other end. I'm by Hal. I said, Hal, if we, if you do that one more time, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew I meant it too. And I'm bigger than he is. He never did it again. <laughs> he never did. Now, you have to be a little bit mean to play in the league, okay? I completely agree. Jesse Forte, uh, former you know Carolina player, NBA player. Uh, what's a good story you remember from that one? 
I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's so many great stories from that one. But, I mean, he was one of the great uh, college point guards of North Carolina and learning about their deep runs into the NCAA tournament was fun. But also just his NBA experiences, playing for the Celtics, uh, playing overseas and, you know, everything that he's doing now. Um, he, he's, he's a great guy. I, I really enjoyed Joseph Forte a lot. Funny rookie duties that you had that year. I mean, was Kenny Anderson making you get his Dunkin' Donuts or anything like that? Those guys were past all that stuff. They did, when I got in 2001, those guys were they, – their, their, their biggest rookie duty that I had was making sure I got to the limousine at 12 o'clock when we got to the, after the hotel. That was the only rookie duty I had, meaning what? Meaning that the only thing the rookies had to do was have a good time with the vets. They took care of us, man. They didn't haze us, none of that stuff. We went out. They paid for everything. The only thing, Kenny, because I told Kenny, I said, Kenny, what do we got to do, man? Kenny's like, listen, the only thing you got to do is take it and give it to the next man. Give it to the next young fella. And that's the only thing he has, so that's what I'm trying to do. You got to spend some time with Ray Allen and Gary Payton in Seattle. So did anything about their approach to the game really stand out to you? Yeah, obviously Gary Payton is <laughs> Gary Payton is direct. And Gary Payton is a leader by nature, whether he played basketball or not. Um, he told me when I played defense to put my hands behind my back to play to play defense, it would better my defense. Um, just his mental approach to the game. He's very, he's very just direct and he's a leader. And he does it in a way that's almost like a giant. And he has a very unique personality and he's very original. Ray Allen is just as you see in Jesus, Jesus Shuttlesworth. He is that. He, I saw Ray Allen in the club because he barely goed out. He barely went out. And I asked him what he was drinking, and he said, water, water. And it was exactly what you would expect Jesus Shuttlesworth to be drinking, which is Ray Allen. Ray Allen is exactly as he portrays himself. He's, he's perfect, man, and he's a very positive individual. My time with him was very inspirational. It showed me how much work I needed to do as a person. And that's what really stood out with those two players amongst the other players in Seattle. Who's the best, best trash talker and why? The best trash talker is Antoine Walker because he can belittle you quickly when he's trash talking. Yeah, plus he shimmies after. That's humiliating. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> grab a couple of the next couple ones. I've been doing too many. Grab, grab some. <laughs> so start, start off with uh, give the listeners what we did on episode 29. Yeah, 29, one of my favorites, uh, Jared Haas. And if, I mean, if you guys are local Reno listeners, then you'll know exactly who that is. I mean, he's the South Tahoe legend that won that state championship up at South Tahoe. He's the current coach at Stanford, played at Kansas, Scott Pollard and those guys, but uh, author of Floor Burns. So that was a lot of fun to learn about and uh, just kind of learning about his journey through basketball, through through Tahoe. I just thought it was interesting because you really don't hear about that ever. I mean, anybody from Reno knows knows all about that. So I really enjoyed learning about that. And uh, also the machine guns overseas, that story, that was also oh, a yeah. good one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Mr. Energy was next. Carl Krauser. <laughs> X up. X up. Carl Krauser, uh, former Pitt Panther and pro. Uh, he was one of the most – funny and passionate guests I think that we've ever had and yeah. just, uh, the energy was at a hundred the whole way through so I really loved learning about that one and uh I mean the old black magic that's what they call them old black magic I'm very curious because I always loved your game I loved the handles you had I loved your energy loved how you attacked the rebounds just the passion you played with so 
who are some of the guys that you really studied and tried to emulate your game after? Like, who were your idols growing up? Wow. You know what? I'm not going to lie. Um, big time. As a basketball player, Isaiah Thomas. And uh, I'm going to say Tony Delk, Tyus Edney, nice. Dana Burroughs. I'm going to say Jamal Tinsley. I'm going to give these guys some love, man. Uh, Sham Guard Wells, Ray for Austin. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go back even with my man, Dennis Johnson. I'm going to go to Drazen Petrovic. I'm going to go to Kenny Anderson. You get me like yeah. I'm going to go to Pearl Washington. Like these are the guys like Barron Davis, Steve Francis, like all of those guys I'm talking about, I looked at everybody, Andre Miller, Jason Kidd, you get what I'm saying, Gabby Payton, all of those different guys, like, they were dynamic in their own way, rebounding guards, uh, Mahmoud Adul-Raouf, Chris Jackson, God bless, he's still here, but, you know, all these different guys I looked at because I appreciated what they brought to the game, and there's, and there's more, there's a, there's a countless number more players I've really studied, like, and these people like really helped me out because if they didn't show me that you can not only get buckets, but also certain games you would manage the game, they might have a win with seven points, 12 rebounds or something or seven points, 14 assists, or, you know what I mean? Something different. And you had a lot of steals, deflections, a key play in the, in, in, for the win. Sometimes people look past that. You had a lot of you had a lot of records. You also got the most improved player your sophomore season. I mean, you had a great career at Pitt. So what I'm curious about is what was the draft process like for you? Because I always felt that your game would have translated really well to the next level. So what was that draft process like for you? Did you have any workouts, interviews? And I mean, what feedback were you getting on maybe what you needed to do to get to the NBA? Man, they told me they was like, man, we not rocking with you, man. You too much like Malcolm X. That's what they told you in the. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, it, that can't be word for word, man. <laughs> I knew I was going to get you with that one, though, man. I was like, who in the hell told you that? Uh, really great dude. And then Marquise Marshall and Chris Jones from uh, the Utah Valor in the t- uh, of the TBT. Loved having them on. I remember I was in Hawaii during that one, so I was taking time from vacation to talk to those guys. But it was so worth it. I mean, Chris Jones is. Super funny guy. Marquise Marshall is the son of Danielle Marshall. And uh, just it is our first one that we combined episodes. It only felt right since they're both teammates. And, uh, you know, I, I just love the Chris Jones story in Mexico. That, that is by far my favorite one. Played in both Australia and Mexico. I know you have a crazy story that you can share for our listeners. What's, a, what's that craziest one that comes to mind? Mexico. So the first thing I remember is, okay, we're, they're taking us to, the ho- to a hotel. There's no seat belts in the car, and we're going like a hundred. It feels like we're going a hundred miles an hour, and there are like no traffic. I don't know if there's traffic laws. Like I still don't know. Like they have signs. It's it's like optional at best. And, and I, I'm, I remember being like tossed around, and I'm like, like you have to brace yourself. You just got to be crazy to want to drive there. Okay, so then then we get there, and they're like, you know. When, when you first get here, don't venture too far out from the hotel. Okay, well, why? And they're like, you know, they may, they may just take you. 
like, like who's like who's gonna take who's gonna take me and like drug cartel or I, I don't know gangs I I'm like oh, okay I'm gonna stay a little bit closer to the hotel for for now I remember going to our first game we get back in the car then you know then you see tanks coming down the streets and they have machine guns and you're like this really is a different world like I mean. The driver tells us as we're going over this underhang, there's some nooses up there. He's like, yeah, they, someone messed with the drug cartel, so they hung three people from the, I'm like, oh. wow. I'm like, this is, this is not, this is not Orem, Utah. We've had Chris Thomas on the GM of the primetime players, and he shares some incredible minor league stories with us. Do you have a, a story you can share from that type of ball? I was playing for a team in uh, Texas and one of my teammates who, is one of my two best friends from that team. You know, he was from, you know, the murder capital U.S. And here's me from Utah County. We were we were hanging out after practice because we lo- we just like to hang out in the gym. Remember, we were going to Chick-fil-A and, you know, he just took off his hoodie and stuff, left it in, back to the winning. We came back, I dropped him off at his apartment. I was driving back to my to my place and I looked down. There was like something like a shiny handle poking out. I'm like, Okay, so I picked I picked it up. It that was a Glock. It was either a nine millimeter or Glock, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like all my hand, my handprints are on this. I'm like, "Is this thing registered?" Like, number one, how do you forget that? It, it you know, I was just in awe because I was like, "No, that is real too." Like just growing up in different worlds and feeling like and maybe you need to to have one of those and i remember calling him up i was like uh did you leave your gun in my car he's like oh yeah i'm like uh can i bring it to you right now he's like oh yeah don't worry it's uh it's registered i was adjusting to a few things culturally my wife now my parents they they think that's the funniest story ever to be like and to be like you know someone left their glock in your car and you and i reached out i'm like oh my gosh what is this Oh, and he's a super cool guy, man. He friended me on uh, social media, and he's he's a good dude. He's he's a very solid individual. Paul Shirley, former NBA player, but really known as an author too. And he was absolutely hysterical. I mean, he yeah. he might have been. I don't know. It's 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 between him and Scott Pollard for I think who was our funniest guest, and yeah, Rod Benson. Paul, Rod Benson too. Yeah, I mean, Paul Shirley. He he's a funny guy. And I remember he was so upset about not knowing who the lowest ranked player in NBA 2K was because yep. he's the second lowest. He's like, I yep. can't figure out who the lowest was. And I did my research and I found out that he is actually the lowest ranked player in 2K, but there's a cheat code that can get the, like one of the software developers of the game that is on like the 2K, like creator all team or whatever. So it's like a cheat code of a created player who's the only one ranked lower than Paul Shirley. <laughs> Didn't you pull so, out your PlayStation to figure that out? I did. And then, you know, that kid made that highlight video of him throwing up bricks, you know, on 2K. So I made our own little highlight video of, a, of the Paul Shirley uh, avatar going off for like 40 on your Knicks. So uh, every yeah, historic uh, moment happens against the Knicks. Of so. course, of course. <laughs> Well, it was mostly that I, I had no interest from Kansas and Kansas State, which was really frustrating for me at the time because both my parents had gone to Kansas. I grew up just dying by Kansas basketball. Tim Floyd was um, my coach at, at Iowa State, and he tells a story about how when he was at USC, he told Russell Westbrook that he probably wasn't good enough to play at USC, right? Oh, so, wow. like, this happens all the time. <laughs> 
But when it happens to you, it's pretty, it's vivid. And what happened to me was that Roy Williams um, had come to my high school to speak. And I was able to sit down and talk to him about like, you know, here I am being recruited by mostly division twos and mid majors and some like Ivy league schools, but I was on the rise. I could tell like I was getting better all the time. And, and so we, we talked and he was pretty dismissive. And then come my junior year or sorry, my, after my junior year of high school, that's when a lot of the recruiting happens. I'm starting to get a little more notice. And then that senior year, Matt Doherty, who was the assistant coach at uh, Kansas had called and said, we want you to come over for a meeting. And they um, basically tried to talk me out of going to Iowa state and into going to Davidson, which was my second choice. Cause I thought, so I had gone in the meeting thinking, Oh, Kansas wants me to come play at Kansas. We get there. They're just trying to make sure I don't go to Iowa state and that I go to Davidson. And I'm like, but what about me playing at Kansas? And Roy Williams says, I don't think you're good enough to play in the big 12. And as you can imagine that little, little fire under me. And so then that meant that even though Davidson was beautiful and Bob McKillop was amazing, the head coach there, it was, it was kind of set in my head. Like I'm going to go to Iowa state if for no other reason than to prove to Roy Williams that I can play in the big 12. And so as you can imagine, when I was a junior and senior, we won the big 12 championship back to back and we didn't lose to Kansas any of those four years. And that included winning at Allen Fieldhouse. And that meant that when I was on the court at the end of those games, I got to look directly across the floor at Roy Williams. And there was no better feeling that I'd had in my life. It's paradoxical because you're like, if you don't think I'm good enough to play in the Big 12, then why are you worried about me going somewhere else in the Big 12? Uh, so Chris, shout out Paul Shirley. Love Paul yeah, Shirley. shout out Paul Shirley for sure. He was awesome, man. Chris Ott, a uh, former Cal Poly and Mercer player. He was, uh, he was a ton of fun. Oh, honestly, one of my favorites, um, just because he got to play with Andre Miller, uh, Rico Harris, all the great, you know, players in the Los Angeles area. And yep. you might not know the name, but sometimes when you don't know the name, those are the best ones. And this is truly a treat. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. So many great stories. And it was all he's also on the worst, basically the worst college basketball team of all time. I think they didn't win a game, right? Or they won one game. I think uh, they, yeah, won they won one game. Yeah. yeah, they won one game, and uh, it was <laughs> he was such a good sport about it when we talked about uh, that one win. We asked him if he celebrated that one win, and he just <laughs> he just shook his head, laughed, and you know took it like a champ. So I, I love Chris. Uh, he's an avid listener, and I appreciate him a lot. Yeah, that was a great episode. You know, and the other thing that's cool about that is, you know, you you learn about stuff from reading stuff in magazines. I mean, at least when you know when I was a kid, I did, and I know you did too. And you know, maybe you hear some stuff on you know social media or whatever, but when you're actually getting stories from the people that lived it, like that Los Angeles high school basketball scene, it just makes it that much more special. So you're right. Listen to the players that you might not totally know their names because you're going to hear a lot of stories from people that you do know, like all the Kevin Garnett stories we get to hear from the Chicago players. Holy crap. Those are hysterical. You know what I mean? There's who was the one. Do you remember real quick off topic? The guy who was talking about how he roomed with Garnett and Garnett just went shut the fuck up. Yeah, it was Ronnie Fields. Yeah. Season one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so amazing. That's a great episode. He's, to check th out. he's throwing tennis shoes at him. Yeah. <laughs> so like, good. Shut up, KG. Shut up. Yeah. If you want to know if KG's real or not, like that's KG's always KG, just so you know. Von Wafer was on the show, former NBA player. Um, loved his game. He was super cool. I remember talking with him on the on the pod and just really enjoying that episode. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those spark plugs that come off the bench and gets buckets right away. But he was just such a great guy, just really uh, into trying to help the youth and, you know, better the youth coming up and teach them about the business of the NBA. And 
uh, he's somebody that's a giver. Uh, he is really giving back to the game and giving back to the youth. And I, I appreciate him a lot. And I just love learning about like the McDonald's all American experience playing against LeBron, stuff like that. And Yao Ming. I mean, he had a lot of great stories. So I think most fans don't understand that being a McDonald's yeah. all American really goes way beyond basketball. So what can you tell us maybe about what that meant to you and what you learned from that experience? And maybe some of the things that maybe most fans don't know about that. Uh, I'm glad you asked me that because the experience for, to me was kind of, you know, I didn't, I didn't really even grasp what was happening. I really didn't, you know, take it in. I really didn't understand, you know, the magnitude of that. You know, I wasn't even conscious of what was going on around me. If I was telling a young Von Wafer, I would tell him to build connections, you know, establish connections, connections with these guys in your class, establish connections with the executives, establish establish connections with anybody that's important down there. Just try to build connections to help you into the future. Try to learn from everyone. Just try to embrace the moment. Don't look at it as, you know, I know guys are gonna be competitive, they're gonna wanna do well in the game, but the more important thing is to build bridges, to build bridges to help you to your future. That's what I would would give that's the advice I would give to myself and to any other youngster out there. I know that's maybe not the popular thing they want to hear. They probably want to hear go out there, kill them all, go for 20, go for 30. All that's nice, but it's more important to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. Chris Ancy was awesome. Um Australian legend. I mean, absolute Australian legend. Played in the NBA. He had some great stories. Yeah, and uh, I mean, three-time NBL champion, but in his book is awesome. Uh, Tall Tales, definitely check that out for the holidays. But uh, he was one of our funnier guests, too. I swear, it's always the authors that are like one of our, you know, more funny guests. But uh, he, he was he was great. I, I loved Chris Anstey a lot. Man, look at this. If you listen to this pod, you're like a regular listener. A, thank you. But B, you know how to write a book now. With the, yeah. <laughs> the amount of authors we've had on the show, you will understand how to write a book, how difficult it is, like the timeline on how long it takes to write a book. I mean, it's it's. I've learned a lot about that and how much how much time and effort gets put into something. You know that people don't think about. They don't think about those things. They're just like, oh, here's a cool book about the Lakers, or here's a cool book about playing overseas, and they don't realize all the blood and sweat and tears actually go into putting that book together. Yeah, and Chris Anstey's story about the surgery in Russia. Holy crap. That is Dude. I heard a bunch of Russian and then the word surgery. And I said a bunch of English and then London. I said, there's not a chance I'm going into a Russian hospital. And I mean, I was in it already, but I was not having surgery in this wooden building. And again, they got Martin Mercip on the phone as a translator. And he says, look, your appendix is about to burst. You can't fly. You might die. Um, and then he says, it seems like this surgeon's done it before. And I'm thinking, oh, it's, I'm, glad it's, I'm glad it seems like it has. But So they put me into this room with maybe 40 beds. They took all of my clothes off. So I was butt naked in this room of 40 beds with people in them. And they got, you know, those yellow big razors, the, the yellow plastic disposable razors. And they just started shaving everywhere from my knee to my chest in front of a room full of patients. I'm thinking, wow. And, for the guys out there, keep in mind it's minus 45 degrees outside, so it's not flattering. And so anyway, then they put me onto a trolley. They roll me down the down the corridor of this hospital naked, no sheet, no nothing, into a into a surgery, into an operating theater. 
with what seemed like a dolphin torch hanging from the roof and just a plastic bin of bloody bandages on the side. And they strapped my arms down. They put drugs into my arm. And they start, they got the antiseptic and it stung like crazy. So I'm tensing under these straps because I've just been shaven. And anyway, so I thought, close your eyes, at least try to relax. And you know that sound you hear when you go to the silverware drawer and you rattle it? I heard that. And I thought, I wonder what's happening. And so I opened my eyes and the surgeon's got the scalpel right over my appendix ready to start. And I just start yelling on the, on the operating table. And he's got the mask on and the hairpiece. All I see are these two big eyes just go wide open and he starts yelling at the nurse and the nurse yells at someone else. She runs around and puts a, a catheter or put, puts the more drugs into my other arm. And I'll tell you what, I've never stayed awake harder than I did for the next four or five minutes until the drugs finally put me out. And it was the scariest five minutes of my life because I couldn't get out. I was trapped. I honestly thought I was going to die on that table that night um, or that, that morning, but um, I didn't. Um, I did fly to Russia. Sorry, I did fly to Dallas when it was done to make sure that he hadn't left a tissue or a, a blade <laughs> or something inside me and, um, I came back and I finished this. I'll tell you what, just Russian medical, if I brought one thing home to Australia with me after my time in Russia is that I've never, ever one time complained about Australia's medical system or the resources we have available to us because, honestly, they're world-class compared to what they had over there at the time. Yeah, that, that is, is – I totally forgot about that. That is worth the price of admission to listening to that that episode for that. I mean – just just be be thankful if you have good health care like if you live in a country that has good health or be thankful <laughs> that's all i'm going to say that one's way worth listening to we had mauer on again twice because we had the weird year with the draft right how that worked you know because of the pandemic and stuff um he did the 2021 draft preview with us and well, we won't say much because we already talked about him but you know what that would be a fun one for you to go back and listen to because now we're you know almost halfway through the season not really but we're, we're getting up to halfway through the season so it's kind of neat to listen to like you know the players he thought was going to be and where they are now so check that one out uh ricky price yeah that was a really cool episode yeah i mean if anybody from the la area knows who ricky price is he's one of the greatest high school players to ever come out of los angeles and uh you know duke star uh pro and he got a tough rap, I feel like. I feel like he's really important to those Duke teams. And, you know, I think he got criticized a lot for whatever reason. But, I mean, look, he went on. He, he got paid to do what he loves. Uh, I, I mean, if you're getting paid to play basketball, you've made it. And yep. uh, I think people need to understand that. I mean, if you're playing – if you're getting paid to do what you love, you've made it. And uh, what he's doing now to teach kids – I mean, he's teaching basketball clinics. He's doing big things to this day. And such a great guy. I, I got nothing but great things to say about him. You know, both of my parents – went to UCLA you know wow. that's where they met actually and, oh, nice. um, and so the feeling was that I would go to UCLA obviously I had legacy from California it's right there and uh you know I almost felt like I made a poor decision because my freshman year UCLA actually won a national championship and so Toby Bailey, Ed O'Bannon, Charles O'Bannon, Tyus Edney, all those guys ended up winning we played them that year and they smashed us by 25 points and so, you know, the ideology was that I, you know, should have gone to UCLA, but I was a different breed. You know, I didn't want to stay in the California area. I wanted to get away from home. 
Um, I want to grow up. Uh, I want to experience something different. You know, uh, seven degree weather and palm trees is good, but is there something else out there? You know, for me, my relationship with Coach K and the recruiting process and really my visit, you know, set me above and beyond. Grant Hill was my host for my visit. And uh, he was my favorite player of all time uh, in college basketball. And just being around him was was magical. So in The Last Dragon, there's a thing where like, it's a Kung Fu movie, but it's a comedy too. And like the main character has a glow, a glow meaning an aura around him. And when he walks in the building, like everybody knows it's like a special glow that he has. Grant Hill had that glow. Like, even if you weren't a basketball fan, when he walked into a building, you knew he was somebody. Yeah. Like, his aura was just unbelievable. And just being around him, you know, um, shadowing him for 48 hours on my visit, seeing his fanfare, seeing his work ethic, watching pickup games, spending time with Coach K. Obviously, you're playing at Duke, um, which was one of the hot teams in the 90s. Coach K, one of the best coaches in college basketball. You're playing in the ACC best conference in America. And then you're, you know, academically going to a top five school in the nation. And so for me, it checked all the boxes and uh, it was very, you know, simple and, and easy for me to choose, you know, to go to do. Absolutely. Daryl McDonald, Mr. Excitement. I love Daryl McDonald, man. Another Australian legend. We had a lot of Australian legends this season, which was really nice, but um, he, he's one of the more exciting players in the NBL. I mean, the no-look passes, uh, the ball handling. And um, I mean, he's also a New York City legend. That's how you got the nickname, Mr. Excitement. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was a lot of fun, too. He, he, that's another one where he, uh, he it was such a culture shock going to Australia, talking about the kangaroos. He just wanted to get some kangaroos. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was the one thing. You want. Yeah, that was. Yeah, he was magical for sure, man. Um this episode I loved. This was, I think, our longest episode. Um, and, uh, you know, talk about a guy that turned his life around and really told us his story about how he turned his life around. Uh, Keith Kloss, man, the boss. He was, uh, I remember watching him play with the Clippers. My buddy Primo, shout out Primo. Humongous Keith Kloss fan. And uh, Keith was absolutely generous with his time and told a lot of great stories. And he's got a really cool sneaker out that you should check out. Um, Keith was great. Yeah, and that sneaker pays tribute to, you know, his, his kids, which is phenomenal. But he was so ahead of his time. I mean, seven foot three, could put the ball on the floor, could shoot the rock. I mean, he, got, he had such a tough rap. And if you want to learn about the business of the NBA, yep. that is a really good one to kind of understand how the business of the NBA can sometimes determine – uh, a player's career or you know the just false narratives of people i mean he is one of the most genuine nicest uh g gentle human beings i've ever met and uh i mean i have nothing but respect for that guy uh, yeah really love keith Kloss a lot every guest we've had on from the la area like shay cotton uh ricky price and travis reed they all say the high school hoop scene was big time in la back then so i mean what can you tell us about your experience with the high school scene in LA and what kind of player were you? And was there, did you have like a rival? You got Jelani Gardner, six, six out of uh, St. John Bosco, Cameron Murray out of Glendora, Jamil McMood, Keith Van Horn, J.R. Henderson, um, James Cotton, Shay's big brother, you know, uh, Tremaine Folks, Chris Johnson, you know, Toby Bailey, Ricky Price, um, Andre Miller, 
there's there's so many. Mike Carson, who else? Alex Sanchez. Our era was so stacked with with badass players out of L.A. That is too many to name. Like I know I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna forget some names. You know, just because that's how thick it was. And you can walk into it. Tony Gonzalez, Kansas City Chiefs, Atlanta Falcons. Tony Gonzalez, hell of a basketball player. He was a six four power forward. And funny story, man. In AAU, Tony actually dunked on me. You know, I'm I'm seven two about. No, I was no, I was six eleven at the time. I still weighed about hundred seven ounces, soaking wet. You know, and on a pick and roll, you know, I, I go to help on the pick, and then I rotate over to stop Tony because that's my man. And uh, he goes up, and so I I go up with him because I'm thinking I'm gonna you know pin this. He taps the ball off my hand and dunks it. <laughs> Wow. So Tony Gonzalez was the first per, you know, the first person in high school in AU to ever dunk on. There's just so much amazing talent. One thing you knew for sure is that when you walk into the gym that day for for a game or for a tournament, you know, there are guys on the other team. If you didn't know their name, you're gonna know their name by the end of the game. It was it was just crazy. It was just a crazy, crazy time, man. It really was. I loved it. Completely agree. We had another. We had two back-to-back big men. The priest, Priest Lauderdale, was after right after him. Um, a lot of cool stories from Priest too. Yeah, I just uh, him trying to go get a cup of coffee, and then all of a sudden there's a sign that says "Landmines." <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a little bit on Matumbo? What'd you learn from him? A lot of things. Deke is is absolutely hilarious. Like he he he's definitely a jokester. He's a real humble guy. Most people don't know that. He's a very humble person. He's a, he was a really good professional, and he played hard. He, he played as hard as he could every every second that he was on that court. Yeah, he was and, uh, amazing. And he never stopped working on his game. Like I mean, you know, when he was in Atlanta, he was he was putting up some really really good numbers scoring wise. But he used to work on that. Like you know, we would step to the side and we would work on it. <laughs> I mean. He had to, every day he went against the offensive juggernaut, so it was easy for him. Yeah, he uh, he definitely could score, and I don't think a lot of people gave him credit for that either. You know, they always looked at him as a shot blocker and a rebounder, but I don't think people realize, like, he had he had some nice offensive game. Yeah, he was decent. He, he was more than decent, and he always worked. He always worked on it. Yeah, and that and that shows a true professional, like you said earlier in the conversation. You know, and this is probably my favorite question I ask people because they always have a crazy story. I mean, what what's the craziest experience that you had playing overseas, whether it's from the fans playing in the game or even just the culture? What would that one story be? I mean, I mean, there's been a couple of machine gun checks. It just depends. <laughs> uh, like the wildest thing I ever saw, like that, and uh, like fighting, maybe fighting in the stadium. Oh no, we've had a, a, a me and my team have had a, a lot of fights with stadiums <laughs> wow that's so crazy man when you think about that now the, the, the craziest thing i ever saw is we played a exhibition game in bosnia and it was kind of like right after well a few years after the war went down so we get off the plane and we're walking to the bus we get off and we had to walk to the hotel you see all this destruction and then you see these brand new pristine beautiful buildings in the middle of all this destruction so you're like okay let me walk around get me a morning coffee you know 
And then you start looking at the signs in the grass. Do not step in grass. Landmine. You're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All for a cup of coffee. <laughs> for a cup of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember we had some technical difficulties with that one. Just his internet connection wasn't great. So we had to use the phone, put them on speakerphone. So the, the audio is a little bit different, but it's still a great episode to go listen to. So that's the one where we had to fight through some technical difficulties, but it's very much worth it. He's a great, he's a great guy. I know these next couple episodes mean a lot to you. So why don't you take them? Yeah. Gerard Ward. Um, again, he's another guy that, you know, you heard a lot about in those early 90s, um, former Michigan star, you know, after the original Fab Five. And he he was somebody who was ranked number one in the country and just had the knee injuries. And, you know, the injuries kind of slowed him down a little bit, but he still made it. And he talks a lot about eating adversity. And I think for any athlete who's going through, you know, tough times as a player, whether it's injury or, you know, mental uh, illness, anything like that, this is an excellent episode to listen to because you'll learn a lot from him. And uh, I just love what he's doing, you know, to help others, you know, being a motivational speaker and all that stuff. But he's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Tell you a brief story about my, uh, my childhood. My father um, came to me when I was about 10 years old. And he said to me, he's, we were watching a game on a Sunday after a church. And he said, asked the question, Gerard, what do you think it takes to make it to the NBA? Uh, and we were watching, I think, the Lakers versus Boston. And I had no clue on what he meant. And he, he asked the question. He ended up leaving the room. So he comes back. And uh, as while he was gone, the, the game went to commercial. As it went to commercial, I saw the big letters that said NBA. And it hit me in that moment. In order for me to, to get to that level, then I need to, to, to form a different mentality that I had up until that point. And so those three letters turn into an acronym for me. I know you're not supposed to really use that, but I, I talk with young people a lot about it. But it turned into an acronym that meant to me, never be average. So then from there on, everything I did, I tried to do it above average. I walked above average. I talked above average. I tried to sleep and eat above average, meaning I was always trying to get put in you know, the right nutrition. Even though we didn't have a lot of eat, I made sure that I tried to eat as healthy as possible in the midst of that. Uh, try to get over eight hours of sleep, try to wake up early, go to, you know, go to bed early, wake up early so that I can get my, you know, work in as a basketball player. And so for me, then on, it meant never be average. And I just propelled in that, in that mentality. I know, you know, Kobe has the Mamba mentality. Uh, so that method was formed in a never be average mentality. And uh, I talk about when I'm speaking with kids, I talk about the 12 characteristic traits of a never be average mentality and i believe it's a blueprint to be successful yeah absolutely. And, uh, you know honestly probably my favorite uh douglas wren D uh, douglas Rennell. Uh, a lot of people probably remember him as doug wren uh but he played at uconn and washington he's a seattle legend um this one's heavy uh you know he he had to overcome a lot too, you know, through his high school and college days. And we talk about being homeless and him being falsely accused, uh, you know, going to prison, uh, you know, basically being in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And uh, it's interesting how he doesn't hold any bitterness. He says that he should have been more educated about the law. And that was something that I thought was really interesting, but yeah. Um, and just the peace and love that he has with, you know, finding that peace and love that you'll learn about in that episode. I thought that was really interesting too. Uh, that's, that's a really great episode. If you're, again, if you're a college basketball 
fan, you'll definitely remember the name. And if you don't, you should know the name because he's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. One of the quotes that really stood out to me, kind of getting back to basketball, is you said basketball is colder than the dope game. That was a, a quote that really stood out to me. And I completely see what you mean after, you know, kind of going through as a player, now being on the other side as a coach. So I want to know what it's like going through the AU circuit or like the ABCD and the Nike camps when you're a top recruit in the nation like you were. Like what connections are being built during those experiences? And looking back, how do you filter out the slimy connections with the good connections? Wow, that's a great question. It's like it's so because it's, it's a mosh pot. When I say it's a mosh pot, it's like it's everything's in there. You have your great people. You have your you have your not so great people. You have your uh, people that are trying to just get everything out of you. That's trying to suck energy. You have your people that are trying to give you energy. It's like you have to. You have to. It's it's such a maze. When I say it's a maze, it's a maze of of everything. You have your women. You have your money. They'll try to elicit you with drugs. Try to elicit you. It's uh, anything that they can find to to will you in. Um, and I and that's the thing that was the craziest thing that I've ever saw. It's like, man, these guys is running game on on children. I didn't know how men were at 18, 17, 18, 19, even 20. I didn't uh, 21 and 22. I didn't understand how men were in a sense that as a young man. We're not, I'm still a child, you know, we still going, that's why I call it adolescence. We're going through adult lessons. And so I didn't really know anything, but you think, you know, because you're handling your business and you're around all these multi-millionaires, all these basketball gurus. So now you think that you know something and you really don't know nothing. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, because you don't have the experience, like it's so hard not to get caught up in the, in, in the, in the, in the BS of it just for a little bit at every single door there's something that uh, you can open and be like man i want that 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 goes to your passion and desires you know and i mean that will that will play with your desires you know i mean i will try to change your desires so the hardest thing in the game this is why i have to appreciate somebody like lebron james you're not being stagnant at all but he you keep on elevating. You have to keep it going. He's not. He's not consistent. He's beyond consistent because he didn't let that distract him. He didn't let this distract him. He didn't let this distract him. Going out, seeing Drake, seeing like being around all that's art. All those are distractions, and he's able to just that right there to me is like that's a superpower to me because at any time you can get drawn into some stuff, especially if you didn't come up in it. And turn, especially if you come, uh, came up in adverse, uh, an adverse situation, you can get drawn to things. We get drawn to shiny things. Children like shiny things. It's like if I have a nice little shiny car and I pull up in front of the program, the first thing they see is a shiny car. The first thing they're going to talk about is that shiny car. Man, you see that Benz, bro, it had everything in it, man. Da, 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 da. You're not talking about that man has any substance. Not talking about that man has any credibility. Not talking about that man is has if he's if he's out there beating on his wife. They don't care about that. You know what I mean? He's got a shiny car and he's got some money. That's all we see. Because we a lot of people, we don't have that. And so it kind of it messes with your mind. And like and like, you know, these agents know that. I think he's got game was a perfect rendition of that. These agents know that. Even with Jerry Maguire, you know, he's steadfast talking, you know, like, you know, it's just, it's just, it's the facade. 
But, you know, he was broke. <laughs> you know, he's broke, but he's fast talking and willing and dealing. And they look, they're living off credit. And nine times out of 10, they're living off your credit. So I think we have to be more empowered and we have to empower ourselves. And that right there will be a whole change of the guard when we start empowering ourselves. That's going to be the scary thing. People forget about how young basketball players are. Impressionable is is a word I think about, you know, and and we hear about from so many former players about the business side of it. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the recruiting process. So UConn's a long way from Seattle. What sold you on UConn? And was there a number two that was that was you know in the woods that that could have been your number one instead of UConn? Look, you know what? What sold me? I was sold to UConn. How's that? Yeah. So that was Eric. How you put that? That would sold me. How about saying I was sold to UConn for a nice for a nice price. And it was like, so that was, that's what that was. I agree. Jelani Gardner. Another one that a lot of people don't know his story. And if you don't know the story, uh, you need to go listen to it. Because what he was playing through, you know, through all the, you know, kidney problems, things like that. Remember how his kidney levels are at what, like 30, 30%? Uh, Yeah, that was a heavy one for me because I was, I definitely was at 30% at one point in my life too. And it's, uh, you can't do anything, man. When your kidneys are that screwed up and he's just balling, it's like, I don't, I was, I was dumbfounded during that episode just going, man, I couldn't even get out of my hospital bed. And here's this guy. I mean, unbelievable. My first game, I had 25 points and eight assists on eight eight for eight shots. But during that physical that season, I got diagnosed with a kidney disease. So the doctor said, you know, from that point, I was going to have to have a transplant. My NBA career was done at that point. When you're diagnosed, what was kind of an everyday process like for you? I mean, that must have been a lot to deal with, plus trying to play basketball. And did that have any factor in maybe transferring to Pepperdine? I was going through a transformation in my life. I was a, um, I was a non-believer and thought it was me. I thought it was me who was the star. I thought I was better than other people. So in my perspective, God um, transformed me during this process and, and with my affliction. I have a tattoo that says, uh, before I was afflicted, I didn't believe, but because I was afflicted, I'm thankful for it. So that kidney affliction was really the start of my metamorphosis into the person that I am today. When I got sick, I had to go through a spiritual transformation. I shouldn't even been playing. I should have redshirted, but I tried to play and I was on steroids and I left and went to Pepperdine, went back home, uh, took that year to get my body back right got off the medication and then uh, played my last two years at probably 40% kidney function. When I'm at 40% function, I don't have, I have less power. I might have more aches and pains in my body, but I still, um, I'm able to play and I'm still, I still look normal. So I had that year, nobody really knew I had a kidney disease. I played all over the world until I was 37 with that kidney my mother gave me. That's amazing. I mean, that's not easy to do. I, I can't think of another player that did that, like Sean Elliott and yeah. Lonzo Mourning come to mind. Yeah, they both had the same disease I did, but the difference was they were already in the NBA when it happened, so they got to stay in the NBA. It happened to me when I was in college, so I never got to touch the NBA, but 
nobody really understands what I've been through in terms of my body and what I had to push through, the harder it took to push my body back and taking these steroids even after the transplant, the anti-rejection medication and trying to run the sprints and your muscles have no power and yeah. fighting through all that to get back to the top. It took a lot of heart, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of commitment, a lot of pain. You know, sometimes overseas I could get sick, be in a hospital throwing up all uh, 24 hours, or I might not feel good and I'll play through it to the point where I'm laid out in exhaustion. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just that committed to the job and to playing. I love basketball and I'm going to fight, you know, I could have died out there. That's how much I love it. My teammates didn't really understand what was going on with me. So I look like a specimen, right? Right. I'm ripped. I got a six pack. I'm long. I'm thin. You know what I mean? But inside, I was at 40%. So at Pepperdine, we had to do a mile and 530 to be able to practice. Okay. And I know my coach knew my condition, but he didn't give me any special condition. But you know, it took everything in my heart to finish that thing. And, they, you know, they looking and laughing like, man, it took everything. But they don't know. And in reality, it took a lot of heart instead of somebody that looked like I'm lazy or something. See body on the outside and say, man, this dude is a top level athlete. He must be bullshitting on this mile. But in reality, internally, I'm at 40 percent. And it took everything within me to finish that mile. Yeah, and, you know, for people to say, like, oh, well, you know, what happened? Why didn't he make the NBA? That's the episode to go listen to because, I yep. mean, people don't understand. He got to pass physicals, and he wasn't able to pass the urine test because of his kidneys. I mean, he borrowed, I think, his Maurice Taylor's urine to pass a physical, you know, for the draft workout, something like that. So, again, really interesting episode to go listen to. But he's a great college player, man, and his kids are doing big things. The Gardner brothers. Look out for yep. the Gardner brothers. Yep, yep. Leonard Copeland was our next episode, uh, former NBA player and another Australian basketball player. God, we got a yeah. ton of Australian basketball players on the show this season. I know. Well, you know, one thing that, you know, when I, when I was reaching out to these guys I wanted to do is I really wanted to put the NBL on the map because the NBL is really, I mean, it's a great league. And we've seen the highlights, you know, with the Lamella balls and the great players coming out of that league. And I just don't think Australian basketball gets enough love. But Leonard Copeland was one of the, was one of the OGs. Um, I loved learning about, you know, his dunk on David Robinson and just kind of his journey to the NBA and also just how he found finally found a home in the NBL and learning about the deaf teammate was uh, yep. home to, to me since my dad, you know, is an audiologist. Uh, I met some guy about a month ago and he goes, and it's been 30 years since I played in the Philippines. He goes, you were in the Philippines. He said it to me. I said, yep. So they know that the game and I got over there and I played quite well, played for a team called Pepsi. There was a guy named Dwayne McClain who played at uh, Villanova. He was there as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, I Dwayne? love McClain. Yeah. Dwayne was my – Dwayne was, became my best friend because he was on another team. Now, Dwayne was putting up big numbers. He, he – and – but my biggest game, I had 66 points. Wow. And you think – Wow. Because it, 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 there are three – there's three seasons in one. First season is two imports. Second season is one import, and the third season is no imports. So I was on the team with the one, I was just the one import. So every time I, I come, they, they gave me the ball every time. So I was getting it off. The NBA, the three pointers are NBA threes. Okay. So it was, it's the real deal over there. But it was six foot six and under for the import. Import can be higher than six foot six, but everybody else can be bigger. And 
I, I remember we, we played two games on a Sunday. Or th- or there were two games on a Sunday. We played, and then Dwayne then played after us. And I dropped 66. And Dwayne was sitting there as I walked off. And I gave him a wink, as if to say, <laughs> top that. <laughs> I go in the locker room, take a shower, come back out. Dwayne with the long arms and the left hand is going to work. Dwayne ended up with 72 points. Get out of here. Oh I, so I waited on him after the game. He goes, is that good enough? And he gave me a, he gave me a high five. Yep, that's good enough, brother. But, um, I, yeah, he was, a, he, was a, he was a great, great guest. And the, the jacket that Charles Barkley gave him, one of my favorite stories, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark with a C, Jackson. Uh, he, dude, he was so funny. He was great. Uh Former VCU player before VCU was VCU, right? And uh, Temple, you know, he had a lot of great stories about Temple. NBA player. I remember Mark, the Warriors. I, I, just such a cool guy, man. A lot of great, inspiring stories, you know, talking about how coaches need to be more like, not, I don't want to say role models, but almost like father figures, right? Like, the, you know, like how, you know, the coaches in his life were so important in his life and made him to be the man he is. I mean, that's, you know, it's amazing to hear that. Yeah, I mean, learning about Coach Cheney, how everybody yep. thinks that Coach Cheney is such a hard ass. And he's like, no, he's a, he's a, he's a teddy bear, man. He's <laughs> yep. a teddy bear. But uh, also the Kevin Garnett story. I mean, anytime we hear a KG story, it's always a funny one. I think Mark Jackson's KG story is probably the funniest. Minnesota was an incredible organization, incredible locker room. Sam Mitchell was there, Terrell Brandon. KG, Wally Serbiak. It, it was an incredible locker room. So they transitioned that way. Kendall Gill, who he called himself the original KG, and he said he would fight anybody <laughs> to try to take that from him. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't fight Kendall Gill, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, it was it was an incredible situation. And I went and I played a lot, and it was an incredible practice. It, everything about it was just wonderful. Kevin, you asked about Kevin Garnett and Tessie. So what people don't understand, people think that's a show. That is really Kevin Garnett on and off the court. I remember as a rookie at Golden State, I'm playing against KG and I'm cooking him. We going at it. And I'm talking, I was a trash talker because I'm a Philadelphia guy. I'm talking so much trash to KG. Like the referee thought we were going to fight, but we weren't. We just was intense talking trash. But what he showed me something that I'd never seen before. When Kevin Garnett talks trash to you, he doesn't talk directly to you. You'll be standing in front of him like this. Yeah, man, you're going to bust big Mark Butt, man. You're going to up another. You're going to shimmy him. You're going to dunk him. You're going to scream like, ah, because you can't guard me. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're not standing right here in front of you, dude. Like, what are you? He talked in third person when he talked trash to you. He did not talk trash to you. He talked trash to himself about you in front of you. That's how KG talked trash. Wow. Like, it was the most funniest, most weirdest thing ever. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yo, I'm ready to talk. He's like, now I ain't even talking to you. Like, yeah, but you're talking about me to yourself, and I'm standing right here, dude. Like, <laughs> so, so that, that, that was him, man. He was an intense guy off the court. You'd be at a restaurant eating, like, yeah, man, you know. We're going to have this good steak. This steak, great, man. We're going to eat this steak. We have fun. Then we go home and then we wake up, shoot around. Then we go over and shoot around. Then I'm going to have 30 next week. I'm like, hey, dude, we at Capitol Grill. Calm it down, dude. Like, 
There's no referees out here. It's just me and you. What are you talking Like, <laughs> KG is really that intense. Really that intense. That's amazing. <laughs> so he has no off switch then. There's no off switch. None. Zero. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. KG is really that intense all oh the time. God, could you imagine that being your dad? Oh, my God. Yeah. That'd be crazy. Hey, I'll ask um, you to clean your room. Why you ain't clean your room? Man, come on, clean. I'm going to say I clean your room because you can clean your room like I clean your room. Like, in fact, oh, it was a fuck. And believe it or not, I know I'm intense, and I know my kids have that same argument with me. <laughs> I can't. Uh, Jermaine Barr's juice. Pro basketball player, silver medal, silver medal winner. Uh, he was cool as hell. He had a lot of great stories. Yeah, but on top of that, he's just uh, he has so many different basketball experiences. Such a great basketball mind, and he's somebody that's been really great to our podcast. I mean, he's always reposting our stuff and always reposting his episode, and uh, he's done a lot for us. I mean, that that episode had a lot of hits, um, and I'm glad it did because I think a lot of a lot more people need to you know, hear stories like that, hear journeys like that, because there's a lot of players, I wouldn't say like Jermaine Barnes, but maybe have similar um, paths as Jermaine Barnes. And I think that people need to understand, you know, what those guys go through too. But I mean, he was, he was a great overseas player. I mean, he's got the record for points in Japan. I think it was, uh, nice. if you don't know much about Jermaine Barnes, that's, you need to go listen to that episode. That, he, he has an incredible story. Our oldest professional player was our next episode, I'm assuming. I don't think we had anybody over 73 playing basketball. Uh, 73-year-old Ken Mink, former college basketball player. Uh, at age 73. Not at 73. Not a college player. He's a former 73. 73, dude. Uh, author. Uh, just a really cool dude. I really enjoyed talking to him. It was really interesting to hear what it was like being that age, playing college basketball, how the other guys treated him on the team, how the coach was basically like, don't take him out. <laughs> yeah. Like, let his wife, you know, like his wife's going to get mad. You know what I mean? Like, just cool shit. He was awesome, man. I enjoyed that conversation a lot. Well, you know, uh, the first day of, of practice, we were working out and we took a water break and I walked over to Fountain to take a drink and I, there was a kid there behind me. He was about 18 years old. And he says, how old are you? And I said, 73. And he said, hell, you're older than my grandpa. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I played and I did some decent things. You know, this wasn't as good as those guys. Everybody on that team dunked the ball. And when I was in high school, nobody could ever dunk the ball, you know. Um, so I wound up with a 22-inch vertical, and they were shooting, had verticals in the 42 and 43-inch range, you know. One of the guys said, you'll never get in the game, you know that. And I said, well, maybe not. I said, there might be a few cleanup games that I could go in for a few minutes at the end. And so what happened was we played uh, King University out of Bristol in our first home games. The King College coach told his players, they got this old guy on the team, 73 years old. If he gets in this game against us and scores, you guys are walking all the way back to Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> As it happened, uh, we were about 25 points ahead, two minutes to go, and Coach uh, said, Ken, are you ready to go in? And I said, Coach, I've been ready for 53 years. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he said, okay, go in for so-and-so. And I went in. We had the ball a couple of times. And the coach said, go down to the corner position and be ready for a pass. So I went down to the corner. They threw me the ball in the corner. I was about 18 feet from the basket, I guess, and uh, just inside the three-point line. So I uh, thought, okay, so they threw me the ball, and I did a ball fake. And this guy from from King, they, you know, they've been told that if I score, they're in trouble. So this guy, he took a leap at me, and he he was about three feet over my head, and I'm I just didn't shoot the ball. I just faked the shot, and he just knocked me all over, and the referee called a foul. So. I went to the free throw line and I was standing up there on that free throw line thinking, this is like a, you know, uh, it has to be a twilight zone or something. <laughs> I had, uh, I was looking at the basket and I thought, well, I've made the tens of thousands of shots from this distance. So I went up there and I made both free throws. Yeah, and the oldest guy to score in a college game and learning about, you know, what he felt. Because remember, he got kicked off when he was, you know, 19 the first time because he, put, yeah. he got accused of putting shaving cream in the coach's shoes. And then, you know, 50 years later, he's he's continuing his dream and finally scores that bucket. That was well, really didn't cool. he get acquitted too? Yeah. <laughs> years <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah. And just think, that gets you kicked off a basketball team. I mean, boy, have we come a long way since then. Good Lord. Yeah. Man. Um, and then Dan Stoddard, he was awesome. Old man Dan. Uh, really cool journey, you know, and then the weight that that guy played at. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and really efficient and like just killing dudes in the low yeah. post. And really inspiring because, I mean, that's another guy that's playing at age 40 and then he loses 80, 80 pounds and, yeah. you know, really work, works his way into shape and I, you know, those are stories I really like to hear because there's a lot of people that might kind of feel helpless at that age or at that weight. And he just put his head down and continued his dream, continued his goal. And I mean, now he's coaching now. Now he's a role model to young athletes. And uh, I think that says a lot about him and, you know, everything that he's accomplished. But that was a big story back then. So it was a, it was a, it was a joy learning about it. Yeah, and, and for all those people out there, man, that struggle with your weight, you know, me, I've definitely done that. It's it's one step at a time, just so you know. You cannot look far ahead. You gotta just do one step at a time. And those pounds will come off, man, if you if you're putting in the effort and the work. I promise you that. Uh, Marcus Liberty, give me Liberty, Chicago lesson, uh, legend <laughs> and former NBA player. Like I said earlier in in this episode, I love talking to the Chicago players because Chicago has an amazing basketball scene that isn't talked about a lot, but he has some great stories. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to talk about some of the best who come out of Chicago, I mean, he's easily top five. I mean, he is probably the most decorated high school uh, high school player out of Chicago. And learning about that run that they had at King High School um, in, you know, his journey to the NBA was a lot of fun. But uh, he, he's somebody that I always tried to model my game after. So that was a true honor for me. Um, he was really – I mean, got, got to listen to it. If you if you don't know much about Marcus Liberty, go do some research because he is a big deal in the Chicago area. How important was that blacktop game to your development as a player, especially in that Chicago area where blacktop was huge back then? Eric, everything. Yeah. Everything. Because, and the reason why I say everything is because you're playing out there with guys that's a little bit older than you, you know, and you can, you get taught the game on the fly. 
and it, it, and if you're not ready for it, for it, it can eat you alive. You know, so I remember guys when I sh- I made score basket out there on that blacktop, and and it was a good shot. Or man, you should have did this. You know, and then the next time down, I'll do that. You know, so you you're learning the game. It's it's no refereeing. You call your own calls. So I wasn't even really calling a lot of fouls or anything like that. I was just playing through through things. So it, I was trying to get that toughness, that mental toughness, because you need that to me to play the game of basketball. And in the inner city of Chicago, and that's what's sad to me right now, that a lot of kids don't have that opportunity that I had growing up in the Chicago area playing on that blacktop. That's one thing I noticed about your game is how creative you were. I mean, I really don't remember a lot of kids at your height being able to handle the rock like you, score like you. I mean, the finger rolls, I mean, you were smooth. So, I mean, who did you want to play like, act like, chew gum like? Who were some of your idols growing up, like the guys that you tried to emulate your game after? Well, you know, growing up in Chicago, again, you you got opportunity to watch NBA games a lot, you know. Not as much as they do now. I mean, games are on so much now, but there's particular games. Like, you might see um, the the Lakers. I was a big Magic Johnson fan, so he was 6'9", and – he can handle the basketball, and I like his passing ability. So I would go out there once I watch him and go outside and try to do exactly the same thing that he just did, right? So he was 6'9", handling the ball. So I said, you know what? I want to learn how to handle the ball like that. And then another guy was George Gervin, the Iceman. You know, I, I, I think he had that smooth charisma about himself. So I was like, I like the way he walks. I like the way he moves. I like the way he – you know, finger rolls that basketball, even though his hands were bigger than mine, you could tell he could pick it up off the bounce and, and, and palm it. I couldn't palm a basketball. So if you ever see my finger rolls, I always flick it. I'll flick yeah. it up. And, and, but I got it from George Gervin. George Gervin was one of my idols. And I think these today's young kids don't know, like I knew it was a lot of work behind it, you know, but a lot of times when kids see Steph Curry shoots threes, they don't see the hours and hours that he put in to master that three-point shot. They automatically just want to go and shoot the three, start shooting the three. He worked in close and mastered it, you know. So when I saw Magic doing the passes, of course I knew I had to put some reps in and get better at it. I didn't think it was going to happen overnight. And I think that's what's missing in today's game. Yeah, and I went back and watched some of your games, and I mean, I just had a feeling you're going to say George Gervin. I swear, I just had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kelvin Davis, man, he was awesome. Oldest rookie in ABA history. Uh, and then he had a tryout, an NBA tryout at 62 years old. Uh, he had a lot of cool stories, man, and, and he could hoop. Like, yeah. I, I mean, even at that age, he could hoop. He was legit. Yeah, I mean, for – for being at age 62 this year, trying out for the Pelicans, I yeah. mean, to even be at an NBA tryout that age and actually be able to run the floor with those guys. And I remember he, he's talking about taking a charge on, you know, those professional yep. guys. I mean, that's somebody and his team went undefeated in the, in the training camp. So, I mean, it says a lot about him. I mean, he's a guy that makes game winning plays. He's just a, he's a winner. He's a winner. And, uh, you know, even though he didn't make the team, uh, it's still an inspiring story to hear about what he was doing day to day to train for that tryout. tryout. I totally agree with you. Uh, Sean McCaw was our next interview. He was super cool, man. He was a super nice guy. Um, he actually sent me his book, E-Wise, which I thought was super cool. I was like, man, that's really awesome, dude. I mean, just really inspiring guy. That's, a, that's an episode well worth the listen for sure. 
Yeah, and some of you will probably remember him as Sean Allen. Uh, he's another guy that, you know, played in the Vegas area at Western High School, won that state championship, went on to Arizona and Southern Utah. But he sent me his book also. I bought the book from him, and it got stolen in the mail. I don't know if you know this. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, so I, I got this package that was in a Ziploc bag, and there was no book in it, and it had this letter in German, and I can't, I can't read what? it. What? So I sent it to – I sent a picture of Sean McCaw. I'm like, Hey, there's no book in this package. I can't read German. What does this say? Are you kidding? And, and he messaged me. He's like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "That's all." He's like, "I've never seen that before." And he's like, basically, to sum it up, it got stolen. So I'm going to send you a new one. And so the new one came in a couple of days ago. So I can't wait to read. Dude, it. that's hysterical, <laughs> man. That's like, yeah. that's like a that's like an episode of a TV show, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's like wacky. Um, Bob Nedelicki. Man, he was cool. He had a lot. Of, <laughs> he had a lot of stories, man. That guy. That guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, we got, anytime we talk to ABA guys, it's awesome. But, uh, you know, he, he was talking about he's got a great book. A lot of interesting stories about him. Um, I don't want to give the I don't want to give it away, really, because that's one you should listen to. But but. You know, he's definitely, you want to talk about the wild west of the ABA, he's got the stories. Yeah, I mean, Neto, man, Bob Nettolicki, uh, <laughs> you're right, I don't want to give too much away, but the bar stories are worth yes. listening itself. But he's also a really important figure in the NBA because he was there from, from year one, so he's really one of the founding fathers of the ABA. And uh, I think that's just really kind of an, an important one to listen to, to kind of learn how the ABA started, why he chose the ABA, and what the ABA really meant to basketball. I think people don't really understand the, the, the huge impact that the ABA had on today's basketball. And, you know, we got lucky. Uh, you know, we got the undrafted guy, but we signed Roger Brown, who's probably the, one of the best players ever pick up a basketball. And the, the, the funny story was that he and, the, you know, he played that uh, – the big uh, New York city tournament against Connie Hawkins that the two schools played and Roger was a, uh, uh, played with some little small school, but he was good enough to get into the finals and he ate Connie alive. But in that tournament, they played against um, Billy Cunningham and Billy, you know, was supposedly defensive ace and everything. And yeah. the, you look at the stats, Billy got like 16 points and Roger got 47. Wow. Four and a quarters against Cunningham. Roger was Roger was absolutely incredible. And the sad part about it, when he got with the Pacers, he had bad knees, and he was probably playing at sixty percent, and he was still better than anybody in the league. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Roger, and I got to ask you: when you got to the ABA that rookie season, what was your welcome to the ABA moment? Like, who's the first guy to really just kick your ass to where you're thinking, like, wow, professional basketball is different? No, I tell I tell people in the um, in the um, uh, my first experience, real experience, was our our second exhibition game. It might have been our first one. And we played Minnesota. We still play, played Pittsburgh. Excuse me, Pittsburgh. And they had this kid named Connie Hawkins. Okay, Connie was the same thing with Roger. He got screwed in that scandal thing, which was a ripoff. And and I I learned. I told people I learned more in that first game playing against Connie than I did in four years of college. I mean, I, and I watched what he did and the things he did, and I tried to emulate him and stuff. Fortunately, I had the big hands as I could do it, but he was, uh, I learned, like I said, I, every game I seen, I learned more. And I, I, you know, and that's the way it is in pro basketball. When you get in there, you, every game you have to learn a little and get a little better. 
Because if you play with your college skills, forget it. You're not going to make it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, our the next guest that we had is uh, important for all the, the Nevada Reno listeners. Uh, Todd Oakson, uh, that, that special run deep into the tournament, he was involved with that. You know, really cool guy, uh, UVU coach now. Um, he's really generous with his time. Told a lot of great stories. Yeah, I mean, I love learning about that Sweet 16 season because that's really the team that put Nevada on the map, and he was a huge part of that. I mean, he was the point guard. Um, and also just learning about how he came from small-town Kansas of like 300 people and then yeah. finding his way through junior college then making his way to Division One, and then becoming a professional player, and now he's coaching. It's like, you know, I love hearing stories like that because I think it's easy if you're coming from a situation like that to just not pursue, pursue your dream at all. And the fact that he made it, um, I mean, he was a tough, he was a tough player, man. I love those UNR teams, I, those Nevada teams. I really do. Yeah, it's, uh, that was an amazing story to think about, you know, places that small still, right? And like, if you really think about the odds, what are the odds of you actually being able to pull that off oh, to yeah. where he got to? I mean, that's, they're very minuscule. I mean, so props to him. Um, I got to lead this off this way. You're going to laugh your ass off. Uh, guest episode 54, five-star hotel for uh. two-star prices. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing ever. Ricky Sobers, super cool dude, man. Uh, we learned a little bit about crypto in that one too, which was interesting. Uh, he's a UNLV legend. Um, and God, he had great stories. Super high-energy guy. I I really enjoyed talking with him. Yeah, I mean, this is somebody that didn't play a second of high school basketball and, you know, goes on and plays for – he's Tarkanian's first big recruit. So I'm yeah. learning about, you know, young Tarkanian and what he meant to him was also really special. But um, And he also played in the greatest game ever, you know, the four overtime games, the Celtics Suns. I mean, that's a, that's the greatest basketball game ever that a lot of people – you know, a lot of people think anyway. So it was really interesting learning about that. He was a great guest. I always love hearing about guys from that era. When you got to the league, who's that first guy that, you know, really kicked your butt to where you're thinking, wow, I'm in the NBA? Or did you even have that moment since you're such a great defender? I did. I did. Um, and actually, ironically, it was my mentor. He, Tiny? He, Tiny got you? We played him in, in Phoenix. Okay. Now, mind you, I, I, this might have been the year or the year after he led the league in scoring and assists. I'm the only one that's that scared, not scared to play against because I played against him every day as a kid. Okay, so where's Tiny at? I want Tiny. Okay, <laughs> don't worry about it. You guys, you don't, don't be scared. I got it. Okay, so we go to the jump ball and we're lining up, and Tiny and I are shoulder to shoulder waiting for the tip. So I whispered to Tiny, and I got a nickname for him, you know? So I call him by his nickname, and he doesn't respond. He doesn't acknowledge me. Right. He says nothing, okay? I'm the enemy. And that's when I... I got indoctrinated because here I'm happy. I made it. I made it. I'm playing. 
I'm playing against my mentor. He's right next to me. We're shoulder to shoulder. We're going to have fun and show him New York City basketball. <laughs> He's, he didn't say a word to me. Wow. He let me know right then and there, this is all business, buddy. Yeah. All, I don't care if I taught you what I taught you. All business. And, and he had pretty much his way with me, although I made him, because I know him so well, it, had he played against anybody else, he would have had 40, so he gave me 25 or whatever. <laughs> you know, 60s, 70s era is my favorite. Yeah, and you can, you, can, you can definitely find that game on YouTube. I know ESPN Classic used to play that game a lot back in the 90s. Okay, then this, this next episode, in my opinion, probably has the best uh, best story overseas. I'm not giving it away. You guys need to listen to the episode. But I promise you, we get to hear all these great epi- uh, episodes, all these great uh, stories from overseas players. And uh, this one's amazing. Kenny Denard, what a former Duke star, NBA player. Uh, the overseas story is amazing. Like I said, I'm pumping this one up because you got to listen to it because you will laugh your ass off hearing it uh what do you remember about for the episode that you liked uh he's just one of our funniest guests but also one of our most inspiring just because everything that he went through with his testicular cancer that kind of ended his uh basketball career in a lot of ways uh but the fact that he you know goes through the radiation goes through all of that and comes back and plays in the nba and plays overseas it was pretty incredible to me but he's a really funny guy man a really a great personality one I, I think one of our funniest that we've ever had yeah, I would definitely agree. Definitely agree. He definitely had a great sense of humor. And uh, he's he's really, really solid guy in terms of, uh, you know, because he was the one, too, that just was traveling along with his wife in an RV, right? Yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah just super cool guy. Uh, and our last guest, episode 56. So we did 56 episodes this year, which is, you know, we went to the format basically of doing uh, once a week, which turned out to be really good. We've, we've definitely, uh, we've been charting in more countries too, which has been amazing. Before we introduce this last guest that we had, I just want to say thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast, um, whether you listen to one episode or all 56 of them this year or every episode we've ever done. We do really appreciate it. Um, Charted in all the countries. We charted in Russia just recently. Stayed on the charts in Russia. We're still on the charts, which is crazy. So charting overseas in a ton of places is another thing that's just really humbling and amazing to think like, wow, like our, our podcast is reaching out past the States and reaching out even past Reno, right? I mean, when we put this thing together, we didn't know what was going to happen. So I want to say thanks for all that. Um, it's, it's, if you got to the end of this, awesome. And if you didn't, then you're not hearing any of this. But our last guest is Ben Guest. Um, and this is probably my favorite episode of, well, my second favorite episode of season two because Oscar was definitely, but that was, you know, really for, you know, like the legend being able to interview him. Ben, there's a lot of really, really cool stories and things that he talked about. And, uh, you know, he was, he's an amazing guy. I mean, you know, we went into so many different topics besides basketball and he has a really unique approach to talking about coaching, uh, that I thought was actually absolutely brilliant. It's a must. I mean, you know, for being our last episode of the season, it's really a must listen in my opinion. Um, what were your thoughts about that great episode? 
Uh, I just think it speaks volumes that we wanted him to be our last guest of the season because we had opportunities to get a few others, you know, for this week. But I just wanted to end on that because I thought it was such a great episode. And I just know that the conversation that I had with Ben, you know, as a coach to coach, that was another episode where I got to learn a lot about uh, my approach to coaching as well. And I, I mean, we got to kind of, you know, pick each other's brains and build off each other, which was really special to me because I don't get to do that too often. But uh, his stories are great. His overseas story was, I mean, it, it, that actually, his overseas story might be the best one, actually. I mean, <laughs> it's but, pretty close, man. It's like, yeah. it's like 1A, 1B on that one. Yeah, but I mean, for him to not even play high school basketball or play organized basketball and then end up being a championship coach, you know, both at high school and pro level overseas, uh, says a lot about his mind, says a lot about the diligence that he did you know reading books to learn how to be a coach that it was it's just a phenomenal episode i think everybody should check it out I th- it's it's a great way to end season two and he has a great phil jackson story in there too um <laughs> so there it is there's all 56 episodes of season two man uh it's been a great run it's been a lot of fun we're taking off christmas week to enjoy time with our families and then we're gonna do another year in review because Honestly, they're a ton of fun to do, and uh, who knows we'll, who will wrangle up for the year review. Maybe, maybe get the old crew back. Maybe, maybe sneak in Tony Alvarado for uh, for a little bit in there. Who knows who will get on? Um, but they're always a great time, and this will be our third one. Yeah, crazy, I know. Crazy it's cr- crazy to think that we'll be going on to year three, and who knows? Maybe we'll have a, a guest appearance from one of our previous guests on too. I mean, there's a lot of surprises in the in the works coming up, and uh, I just want to say thanks to all our listeners and all of our guests. I mean, without our guests and our listeners, we wouldn't be where we are today. You know, so uh, big thanks to them helping us chart in 20 plus countries and getting recognized by some pretty big names and people, you know, asking to come on the show. It's really amazing where this has gone um, over the last two years. Yeah, man, I agree. It's, it's, uh, you know, you know how much I love basketball. I know how much you love basketball and, and to actually hear stories of games you remember games you've watched, you know, uh, players you remembered. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal, man. And I, and I think the big reason for that is we're not hot takers. We want to give people a platform. So if you're, if you're listening out there and you got a, a famous, a famous friend that played basketball that wants to come on the show and really just kind of talk about their journey. We're all up for it, man. And and like I said, we're just we're just looking to to basically tell that person's journey in a very fair way, where they can they can talk about what they went through. And I think it's important for people that are aspiring basketball players, people that played the game, and people who are playing the game right now. So. Um, love you, brother, man. I've been enjoying the show. It's been a lot of fun. It's we've been on. We've had so many great conversations over the years with uh, so many great guests, and I'm looking forward to seeing who we get this next year and whatnot. So, have yourself a merry Christmas, everybody. Be out there having yourselves a merry Christmas. Be safe, man. Be good to each other, like I always say. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. Peace. <laughs>